Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 150. 153 of the Classic Gaming Podcast. Today's date is November 13th, 2020. I'm Robert Ring. With me is the amazing Mr. Jay Totoro. Yeah. And the equally amazing Mr. and veteran guest of the podcast, I think it's safe to, to call him at this point now, the other Mr. J, Mr. Gaming J. Jay, hello, hello, hello. how are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing tonight? I cannot complain. Yeah. Veteran guest, I feel like I've unlocked an achievement. Sorry, by the way. You get a badge. It'll be in the mail. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to change into your Discord. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you some sort of... I'm going to make a role for you in our Discord channel. How about that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> when somebody else is talking, I'll, I'll, t- I'll take care of that. Uh, so, Jay, I mean, hadn't been too long since you've been on, but uh, how's everything uh, How's everything going with you tonight? Things are going well. Um, yeah, I... I... I can't remember precisely when I was here last, but uh, it never feels like it's been too long. Uh, nice to be back, of course, and to talk about games. But uh, yeah, things things are going good. Awesome. Uh, I just finished. This is Rob random news update for you guys. Uh, I just finished my first model Gundam the other day, and it came out pretty sweet. And then I bought three more. Awesome. Oh, yeah, of course. You get so obsessed into things. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy the amount of like detail these things have, and, and a lot of it, it. It's not that big. It's it's like the size of about like a regular action figure that you would buy. You know, like a toy action figure. It's about that size. Okay, but, the, but it's detailed. It's detailed and it's extremely articulate. Like a articulate is that the right word? Yeah, articulate. Like all of the joints and everything, you can pose it like however you want and do like basically kind of like realistic poses with these they're they're kind of known for you you can like make them look actually look really cool just the way that you stand them up and stuff and uh of course it's got like interchangeable parts it's got like you can have him hold a gun and a shield or he doesn't have to hold either or you can give him a sword and the one i got even will like kind of transform into a jet (laughs) It it looks kind of crappy in jet form but uh it's just kind of cool that it can do that at all um a lot of people, what they do is they'll is they'll paint them, and sometimes they'll the paint just makes them look better in general. And but sometimes people like customize the way that they paint them, and then uh, when there's like little 
little li- like little lines for details on like the armor and the shield and stuff like that they will uh they'll they'll kind of fill those in with gray or black paint to make it look it kind of just gives it more depth i didn't do any of the painting but i did, did i did do the panel lining so that looks really cool but there are there were like not that many stickers, but like five or six stickers on this one, mostly for like the eyes to like they were kind of like shiny green stickers for the eye for the eyes, so the eyes kind of glow. But one of the stickers, the stickers are so tiny, I've never had to place a smaller sticker on anything. <laughs> one of the stickers is was one millimeter by two millimeters. Oh geez, how do you place that? You um use a scalpel like you you pick it up like you you kind of get a scalpel underneath it and peel it off you know from underneath with like the tip of a scalpel instead of your hand and then you can also use that to get it where you want and then kind of use like a toothpick in the other hand to kind of like push it down and then you slide the scalpel out it's uh it actually like some like usually i'm not very good like working with tiny little things with very steady hands that you know like that kind of stuff but somehow i actually like just by sheer luck got it on there pretty much just right um and then like so there are, the, huh? the two uses of a scalpel are saving a life or putting on tiny stickers onto a fictional model character. <laughs> yeah exactly okay. uh so um it's, it's really cool like you like people should look at I, i'm surprised this isn't more this isn't a bigger hobby than it is because uh I did have, it's not as fun, like the process of it is not, is not super fun putting it together, but the finished product is super cool. So, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a cool hobby that I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised it hasn't caught on more than it has, but, uh, I've got <laughs> three more now and, uh, I'll, 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 don't worry everybody. I'll keep you updated. You should try painting them. Painting figurines is really fun. Yeah, I, th- I actually am. I'm going to. I bought yeah. some stuff. I'm going to paint my next one. We'll see how it goes. It's hard, but it's not as hard as you think it is. Like once you start learning some of the mechanics of it, or not mechanics, but the different, um, just like the process, the different like process. Yeah. There's like different things you can do for different features and stuff. So I'm going to watch some videos online. I'm also going to do some weathering. A lot of people will do weathering yeah, to, exactly. make, to make it like look used and like dirty. Like it's been in battle. It, that's really easy to do. Surprisingly. That is like one of the easiest parts. Yeah, that's kind of what it seems, because you don't have to be very precise. You just, like, kind of rub stuff on it, basically, and you're like, oh, look, it's dirty, and it well, actually looks good. You take, like, a fat brush, and you put paint on it, and then you literally, like, beat it against the table, against, like, a piece of paper, and dry it out, mm-hmm. and then you do that against your hand until it stops showing up, and then you literally slap it across it a bunch of times until it shows. Cool. It's, it's like, such a subtle thing that looks amazing. Plus, well, you get to abuse things. <laughs> it's always fun. <laughs> Uh, so I got that going for me. I don't think there's there are too many more updates with me. Jay, I want to get a I want to get a uh, 1001 Games channel update from you. You're on number. Oh, yeah, sure. So you passed the five. We haven't had you on since you passed the 500 episode milestone. That was yeah. a few months ago, and you had Jay and I on al- along with some other guests to kind of like celebrate. You did a stream of it. You did Legend of Zelda, and played yeah. through the entire game. And it was it. I'm trying to remember, was that the first time you had played Legend of Zelda or played all the way through? First time I'd ever played Legend of Zelda. Oh my gosh, that's nuts. I think I might have touched the game in the past and like, you know, played it for a couple minutes, but I had no idea what I was doing. Um, So I had my, my original idea was I wanted to get a Nintendo Power magazine because back in the day you would get a Nintendo Power. That's how you found tips for playing games, you know, before the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but there never was a Nintendo Power for Legend of Zelda. So instead, really? I found, I yeah, it's oh, that's it weird. Seems like there should have been, right? Yeah. Um, but no, it, uh, I guess it was too early of a game, and Nintendo Power came out a bit later in the NES's lifespan. Um, so I ended up finding a website that gave tips, but didn't like reveal absolutely everything. Okay. And so I did the live stream and I would sort of tab over and get tips as I needed them because I wanted to play through the whole game uh, to mark the 500 occasion. But uh, I knew if I just did it, you know, without any tips, I'd either not finish it or be like a 10 hour stream. You know, it'd be unwatchable. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 If you didn't have a guide, that would have been a pretty rough stream. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we had a. I basically invited everyone who I'd had interactions with over the past five years to come on. Uh, most people were able to make it; a few weren't. But yeah, you guys were able to stop by. We had uh, Sness Drunk made an appearance. Yep. Um, a couple other folks from a different podcast. Um, the New Game Plus uh, podcast came on, and yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, actually, the day after, the next day, um, I ended up playing through. Uh, the game again if you can believe it really yeah just for fun because <laughs> i i by the time i was done it was like a about a two-hour ordeal i think by the time i was done i was like that was a really good game i totally get why people love this and the next day i did all my editing and i was like rendering the video so i could put it on youtube and i was like i have an hour to kill i'm like i'll just play some zelda and ended up getting all the way to castle eight so Damn. So you so you really like genuinely enjoyed it as I did. I played it yeah. like a couple. The last time I played it was about a year or two before we started the podcast. And uh, the two things stood out to me about it. One was, wow, this is actually still really fun. And also, wow, this is actually a lot harder than I expected. Yeah, actually, I agree with both of those sentiments. Uh, it was a lot of fun um, and it was it held up very well. Um, but it, yeah, it was quite challenging, uh, at parts. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's one of those games that, you know, I hesitate to say timeless cause like in 50 years or the kids in 50 years going to care about NES games, who knows, but it does feel like the kind of game that, that holds up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, uh, ever since then, so I guess now I am close to I'm getting I'm getting close to 550, so um, mm -hmm. it was the summer we hit 500. Um, I'm about to sort of wind down for the holiday season. Every year, I typically put the thousand and one quest on hold, and I do other things in December. Um, and actually, if I can plug something for just a minute, go for it, please do. <laughs> um, yeah, this uh, this December, um, I decided to do sort of a fan appreciation uh, thing. Uh, I guess. Uh, Informally, and I'm calling it a fan stravaganza. We'll see if that name sticks. <laughs> uh, but the but but the idea is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask people for recommendations of what they'd like to see me play in December. Um, and I was thinking like because I get recommendations all throughout the year, but it's really hard to squeeze them in because I'm working through this book. Yeah, and so I was thinking. In December, I have nothing planned, so people can recommend stuff. I'm going to put some polls together, and people can vote, and the top voted games will get played. And uh, also like to show my patrons a bit of extra love, because some of them have been supporting me for years now. Um, I might give them a little bit of extra sway, so maybe make a few extra recommendations or get a few extra votes or something. But 
yeah, it'll be like a fan appreciation couple of weeks. So I'll play whatever you want me to play. (laughs) That's cool. That's a really cool idea. I like it. Yeah. Um, By the way, for anybody who who hasn't uh, heard Gaming Jay on on the show before, he show that sounds weird to call it a show, but on on our podcast. Um, So he is going through a book called Let's or One Thousand One Games You Have to Play Before You Die. And Jay, yep. you are playing uh, every single game in that book to uh, kind of, j- kind of just say, like you know, kind of like show everybody here are the games that this author or that these authors say you have to play before you die. But also, um, and this is, I think, this is a little bit more of a recent development, not so much early on, but a little bit more now. You kind of give your thoughts on whether you agree that it's a game that you must play before you die. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So yeah, precisely. Yeah, I'm working through that book. Um, and as we say, we're over halfway done now, which is crazy. I've been at a pace of about 100 games a year. And uh, yeah, it's so I'm not playing every game to completion. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <where> <laughs> say that. Key point. But, but, uh, uh, but it's more just to sort of get a get a taste of each game and like see what each game is about basically so i mean there's some games that are small like you know an arcade game or a nes game if it's in there and i'll beat some of those sometimes but then there'll be big games in there like grand theft auto 5 and it's like you know i i play it for about an hour hour and a half sometimes two hours and then we sort of reflect on like who's this game for you know is is this sort of iconic or um timeless enough that i would have put it in the book uh, you know, and then I usually ask people who are watching to uh, let me know in the comments if they agree with my assessment, or if they have other takes. So uh, it's really just an exploration of these thousand and one games together um, to see what's you know what's worth playing. I was watching the Cannibalt one the other day, which which you just <laughs> yep. just which is that's your newest one, I think. Yep. Um, episode five forty eight, and I had never heard of this game, and it looks super awesome. Yeah, and it's uh, it started as a mobile game, and then it was like backported oh. onto the Commodore sixty four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, it's like an endless runner, and it's black and white, and you're a guy in a suit running from roof rooftop to rooftop, and like the apocalypse is is uh happening all around you, and it's just you know see how long you can go until you die, and Which I kind is of an apt metaphor for the book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly how far can you get and uh i i kind of agree with i i correct me if i'm wrong but i think what you said about endless runners is that you're not really generally a fan of them but that this one the kind of the setting is so cool and the music is so cool that you enjoyed it anyways even though you don't typically like this sort of game and that's exactly how it came across to me i've played these kind of games before and i always get bored of them because i'm like you know, what's the point if you can never reach the end and just how long you can go? Like, I, you know, I might yep. play it a few times just to see how good I can do. And then I don't really feel compelled to go back. But this one has such a cool atmosphere and such cool, again, such cool music in the background that uh, it, it really looks like a cool game. Yeah. And actually, um, I think that's something that I've noticed going through this this quest for the past several years is that... Um, you know, I mean, I've always been a proponent of like gameplay first. If a game has good gameplay, that kind of trumps everything typically. Mm-hmm. But I think there is something to say for games where the gameplay might not even be something that you typically would be super interested yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, 
the atmosphere and the style is there. If you can tell that the developers cared to make this like an immersive, neat experience that can sometimes shine through and really make a game engaging, even though the gameplay may not be something you had thought ahead of time you would like. So, uh, yeah, I, I I was surprised by that one. I just saw Endless Runner and I thought, okay, another mobile game. Let's just get this over with. But then I was like, hey, actually, it's really neat. It's a really neat uh, game. They did a good job of, uh, you know, making it cool. They, they really did. And that actually gives me an idea. Jay Totoro, tell me if you think this would be too hard. What if for our next top five we did games that are good, but like we could come up with a better way to word it, but basically games that are good, but the gameplay is not the strongest part of the game. Interesting. I think it'd be pretty challenging to do, but I think it'd be interesting. Do you think it's too, you think we should give it a shot or do you think it's going to be too tough? Uh, I could probably give it a shot. I mean, we try anything, right? Let's get, well, exactly. I'll try anything. Let's give it, (laughs) (laughs) let's do that. Um, Let's do that. If that's cool with you. Yeah. All right. Games that are good, but the gameplay isn't the good part about it. I like this idea. Cool. Um, Jay, also a couple other things I want to uh, touch base with you on before we get started with the episode proper. You've started kind of a mini series. I forgot what it's called. Is it games that you've never played? Yeah, actually, um, I I recently started actually two mini series. One is games you've never played and one is retro mini games. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about those real quick. Yeah, so... um, uh, games you never played um, is basically so uh, you know I'm doing the thousand one thing. I do two games a week. I usually post them on Mondays and Thursdays. On weekends, uh, for years, I've also been doing what I call Saturday afternoon gaming, where I just play some kind of old game that I uh, want to play. You know, that's not in the book. Um, it's typically like a Nintendo or DOS game or something like that. Um, but recently, I've started to expand sort of the series on my channel. So instead of just 1001 and Saturday, um, we've got these games you've never played in retro mini games, And they come out sort of periodically, so they don't come out regularly. But games you never played uh, spawn from this idea um, where I was up late one night and I was looking around online and I was reading about a Nintendo game that you could play. There was a ROM out there, uh, but it had never been released. And I was like, oh, that's a really neat kind of idea. I'm like, I should play that on my channel sometimes. And then I started looking it up and I realized there are dozens, in fact, hundreds of games for various systems that were never released. Um, Or like some had like really specific releases, like Korea only, you know? (laughs) Oh, right, right, right. Um, And I thought this would be like a really fun idea, sort of these are like um, lost retro games. So like I could play a Nintendo game that people had never heard of. So it's like seeing a new game for the first time that came from the eighties. So, um, so the series is called games you never played. And the whole premise is I look for games that uh, might be betas or prototypes or alphas or leaked incomplete games that just never saw a commercial release, or maybe were really obscure for some other reason, even if maybe they did see a release somewhere. Um, and so far, um, I've just played a couple games, um, but I played Time Diver Eon Man, which was a totally complete NES game that was just never released. Um, and I also recently played Cave Dude for the Game Gear, which was a, a platformer that basically had a lot of stolen Nintendo assets. Like there's graphics that literally look like they came right out of 
uh, Super Mario World mm-hmm. or Mario 2. So, um, and then the Retro Mini Games is a side series where I'm playing and looking for fun uh, mini games that exist in old retro games. So, um, I think the first episode for that was just playing the car fighting bonus stage in Street Fighter 2. Uh, I did like a little uh, uh, tournament where I had all the different characters try and beat the stage as fast as possible. <laughs> and I kept track of who was winning. And then, uh, you know, uh, I won't spoil it, but, you know, one character came out on top as the best. Um, oh, shit. And, and uh, recently I did uh, the Monster Betting Arena from Dragon Quest 3, which is an arena that's in the basement of a weapon shop. And you you are able to bet on one of three monsters who are going to fight kind of like Pokemon. <laughs> and then they fight automatically and you just, whoever wins, you might win some money. Oh my gosh. So that's I, awesome. <laughs> I tried my luck at a, an underground NES betting parlor, betting on monster fight <laughs> uh, for that episode. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just sort of a different ways of looking at retro games on my channel. Um, that's what I've sort of, been thinking in terms of introducing these new series and i think they're each a little unique and they're things we haven't done before but i think a fun way to look at um old games i have one more question for you um i'm pretty sure we've talked about your your controller collection on here um (laughs) if we haven't then long story short is you have a big controller collection (laughs) and you love controllers uh i don't think i asked you this time and i'm surprised because uh i'm very curious do you have by chance the, um, or have you heard of even the ASCII one-handed RPG controller? I think it's for PlayStation. Uh, do yes, you, I have that. You do have it. Oh <laughs> yes, my god! I, do. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I own it. Yes, I got it. That thing, that's got to be like the crown jewel of your collection, or at least like the crown oddity of your collection. Uh, well, probably maybe not because you've got a lot it's, of stuff. It's one of the oddities, I will say. There are some weird controllers out there. It is a. Um, I'm pretty sure Jay. I think Jay Totter, I think I've shown you before. The first time I ever saw that. Here, I'll put a. Uh, if if Jay, if you want to see it, there uh, there's a link there. But um, it's a it's a it's just as it says. It's made by a company called ASCII. It is a PlayStation controller that you can hold with one hand, and it has all the buttons like you're supposed to use your thumb for everything. And it's meant for, you know, like turn-based RPGs and stuff like that. The, the first time I ever heard about this was, uh, when I played, when we played clock tower, Jay, you remember we played that oh, yeah. a couple, like maybe two years ago. Um, there was an ad for it in the insert in the CD case. And it's just, it's just, it's this dumbest looking thing. Cause it's like, what is the purpose? I mean, obviously the purpose is to be able to just play with one hand, but I mean, you could do that anyways without a specifically one-handed controller if you need to eat or something with the other hand. So it's just yeah. like the most pointless thing ever. Uh, and it's so weird looking. It does seem like a very weird idea for a controller. So there is actually a one-handed controller for the Super Nintendo 2. Uh, similar idea. I think it's really? also by ASCII. Yeah, I just put a link in the, the chat if you want to see. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that one's even dumber looking. Dumber. It doesn't even have the handle. It's just the. It's like, like a little disc. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it has uh, these little nubs at the bottom. They're tiny, tiny, tiny. 
Um, those are the buttons. What? Those, it has like five little nubs at the bottom, and those are like X, Y, um, all your different uh, buttons. You have to I, use tweezers or something to push those. Yeah, it's bizarre. I've, <laughs> I, I've, I've tried it out just to make sure after I bought it that it was functional, uh-huh. uh, but I haven't actually really had a chance to play much with it. But it's these one-handed controls. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, I think they sell better in Japan, and I guess in Japan they're playing so many RPGs they want a free hand, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, this is insane. Yep. Wow. I have thought someday, I have so many controllers, maybe I'll do something with that, and maybe do like some kind of like an episode here or there and show off some of the weird ones, but... There are bizarre controllers out there, and I don't know why, but I'm obsessed with getting them. Yeah, your, it was your uh, your uh, Patreon video that you did where I first saw it. Well, I guess the only time I've ever seen the controller collection of yours was on that video you did for, for your patrons. And, uh, like, you have a ton of controllers and a lot of, like, really cool ones. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I would definitely love to see, like, this in action, for instance. Yeah, like... I, I have I've literally thought like some of these weirder ones like it'd be kind of funny to do a video like can you beat Mario one with like a one handed claw nub controller like this you know <laughs> like, like adds a whole new level of challenge yeah definitely <laughs> holy crap okay so we got the controller update we got the channel update I think we uh I think we've updated everything we can in relation to gaming yeah. Jay so let's um why don't we jump into news if that's cool with you guys. Yeah, um, good. A couple kind of um, not classic games, but classic adjacent games have come out. Baldur's Gate Three has been released in early access. This is actually late news. I'm pretty sure this was out for the last episode, and I just forgot to <laughs> mention it. But it's already sold a million copies, so that's yeah, it looks really good. I haven't really l- looked at it at all, so it <laughs> it does look good. Yeah, Zach. Zach's uh, very inter- into that game, and he's—I think he's has ordered it or is planning to very quickly. Everybody's very excited about it. So he and I have been talking, talking about it, and looking into it quite a bit. Okay. Looks Sa- really good though. Sam and Max Save the World Remastered is coming out December second. Now, this is not the original Sam and Max game. This is the Telltale Sam and Max game that came out. 10 or 11 years ago, maybe even a little bit more. Um, and of course, as we all know, Telltale went out of business, but there's a company now called Skunk Ape Games, and it is run by a lot of former uh, Telltale employees. And they have bought the rights to, I don't think they, I could be wrong, I don't think they have the rights to all of the Telltale games, but they have at least for some of them. And so they're releasing this um, remastered version of the Telltale Sam and Max series. Skunk Um, Ape? Yeah, Skunk Ape Games. It's going to be on Switch, Steam, and GOG. And it's coming out December 2nd. Can I just say the fact that Telltale is now out of business and their games are 10 years old makes me feel like a dinosaur? (laughs) (laughs) It is like, really I, weird. They're still new in my mind. Yeah, I know. It, it like yeah, exactly. I still think of these as pretty recent games, but um, I guess they're not. I guess they're not anymore. Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty to me is still like the newest system. I'm like <laughs> yeah, fourteen. Literally, kids, that's a retro system, man. I my know. Kids it makes these me days. Sad. Um, 
Pikmin 3 Deluxe is also out now on Switch. Oh, yeah. And there are also some uh, some actual classic games that have been re- uh, re-released recently. Those are... One of them just came out today, or maybe it was yesterday, but it's called The Dark Heart of Ukrul. U-U-K-R-U-L. This is a old... A, this is an old um, Windows... Or, or DOS game, I suppose. It came out in 1989. I'm sure it was out on other things besides DOS. It is a, it's a dungeon crawler that came out in 1989. And the thing about this game is, supposedly, it's really, really good. And, and does kind of like some unique things with the dungeon crawler genre. But it only sold 5,000 copies or something like that. Like, like nobody, like it really didn't do well. A lot of people 5, never 000. heard of it. But the people who have played it say it's really good. So uh, it's out now on GOG if you want to give it a shot. It's six bucks there. I just added that to my wish list. Also, it looks like the dark heart of Urkel. Like if you read that too fast. <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah, if you play this on your channel, I'm definitely going to check that out. Because uh, it sounds it sounds potentially interesting. Apparently, it's kind of uh, it's 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 a bit puzzly, also. So it's not just purely a dungeon crawler, but uh, they mix in some puzzles with it as well, which I guess isn't that unique necessarily for dungeon crawlers. But I don't know. I'm just gonna I'm just re well, I'm just it, regurgitating. It might have here. been it might have been more unique back in the day. I think that's one thing that when uh, you yeah. look back at some of these old games, you're kind of like, "What's the big deal?" But it's like back in the day, nobody had done this. You know, so yeah, back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, also the original Rogue is now out on Steam. We did, Jay, didn't we do this for, uh, Game of the Quarter? I'm pretty sure we did. Yes. And we had to play it on, like, myabandonware.com or one of those places. Yeah, that's Um, right. Or maybe it was, like, the Internet Archive. I don't know. But... Because there's nowhere to actually buy it, but now it's out on GOG. The original, extremely rudimentary, the original roguelike, Rogue itself. It's three bucks on Steam if if you want to check it out. It, um, I'd say it's kind of maybe worth three bucks just to kind of see. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like for historical sake, kind of how like where this genre got started. Wait till it goes on sale. It'll be down to sixty cents. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> but that just kind of came out of nowhere, so that's cool. Um, the original Fire Emblem, the Famicom one that came out in 1990, is coming to Switch on December 4th. The first time it's ever been available outside, or I'm not sure if totally outside of, of Japan, but in the West is the first time it's been available. Um, it's going to be $6, but Nintendo is doing this weird ass thing still where it's only you can only buy it until March thirteenth. Huh, that's odd. Very. Yeah, we've been seeing a lot of that recently. I don't. Know, I don't know what their deal is, but yeah, they've been doing this, and uh, that's very unfortunate. I mean, it's cool. I guess. I mean, it's cool that they're releasing it, but really, I really don't like this. These they timed did this releases. With the, the Mario game too, right? Like it's yeah you know, like, for so long. Yeah, the Mario 3D All-Stars. Is that what it's called, right? Yeah, Mario 3D All-Stars. You can, as long as you buy it before then, you own it forever. 
Um, oh, even that. Oh, I, I was thinking the Mario One battle thing that they introduced recently. Oh, I yeah. think that only runs till April. That that one does. Yes, you're right. Mario Thirty Five, the like battle royale Mario. You're, yes, yep. that one. That's purely online, so you you don't pay for that. If you're a, if you have a Switch Online subscription, then you get it for free. Huh. And it's going. And that's just on there until the end of March, and then it's going away. Yeah, I don't know about these timed things. I don't know about them either. I don't like it. But I mean, if you want, if if this is a game that you've been wanting, now you know we're, December fourth is going to be the time to grab it. Uh, and that's all the actual uh, classic news. There, there are two things though that that popped up that were very interesting that I want to make note of. Uh, two articles actually, and and coincidentally, both of them came from Vice.com. One of them is, it's called How Sierra Was Captured, Then Killed by a Massive Accounting Fraud. And anybody who liked Sierra games and point-and-click adventures, you know, back in the 90s and I guess late 80s as well, I highly recommend reading this article. Or they did a, um, on Waypoint Radio, which is like Vice's gaming podcast they did a, an entire podcast with the uh with the author of this article the guy who wrote it and did all the research for it kind of going over everything so either listen to the to that episode of the podcast or read this article because it is extremely interesting uh the the kind of common knowledge about sierra is that they just couldn't really keep up with the times and eventually went out of business because they just kind of like couldn't really adapt but it turns out that that's not really true um or you know or maybe it you know maybe it possibly would have been true but that's not actually what ended up happening and what ended up killing them what happened was as the title suggests they actually got bought by a company called cuc and this company was a like big kind of conglomerate well, not, not really even a big conglomerate. They were primarily a coupon company. What? And it was, <laughs> was kind of like the 90s. Ver- the, the way they describe it is kind of like the 90s version of Groupon. You would pay a membership to be uh, part of this club that gets coupons. And, you know, obviously the, the idea is you get more in savings than you do for paying for the membership. And... Uh, and but then this so they, they got kind of big and then they started buying companies just sort of randomly they didn't have anything to do with them and they bought sierra but they didn't buy sierra in cash they bought uh they paid the owners in stock of their own company so they basically kind of traded sierra stock for this company's stock and that was how they made the profit they made the profit was all on paper well, it turns out, like a year or two later, they determined that this company had been massively inflating their numbers, and they eventually merged with a, with yet another company, and the company that they merged with was like, all right, we got to like, it was time to do their accounting for the year. They realized there had been fraud going on for years, and had to kind of restate all their earnings going back three years or something, and then... Obviously, when they did that, this their stock value just completely crashed. 
So everything that the previous owners of Sierra got for buying the company just all went to trash. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for Sierra and this, this company CUC. Uh, really, really an interesting story. I highly recommend checking it out. Well, you already told the whole story. There's no one uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for spoiling it. <laughs> Not even a spoiler warning. <laughs> Spoilers. Sorry, I'll go. I promise I'll go back and, and edit that out. No, you won't. Um, then the other one is the other article, as I said, also came from Vice. Uh, it's about a game that I had never heard of um, called Freedom. Freedom with an exclamation mark. In, uh, it came out in 1992. It was a computer game. And it was made by the same people who made Oregon Trail. And it was a game where you are a slave in like 1800s America and you are, and you have escaped from your owners and you're, and you're trying to get free. And it's uh, actually really interesting. And, and it sounds like by all means, the people who made it really did a good job of trying to, you know, obviously it's an extremely sensitive topic and they did a really good job of like researching everything uh, consulting with with experts and all this kind of stuff to make sure that they are one not do not making anything that's offensive two making something that has you know educational value and kind of teaches people kind of shows you firsthand what this you know to the to the extent that you could in a computer game in 1992 what it was like to to be a slave trying to run for your for you know for for freedom you know escaping and trying to find some way into freedom and one of the um, really interesting things that they did was like when you come across a house or something like that, or not, not necessarily a house, but a building, there will be signs that say what the building is, or maybe you'll come to a sign in the road that says, you know, this is this way, this is that way. But it's all, all the letters are like made up letters. So you can't read it. So it kind of, you know, of course the idea is it's emulating illiteracy oh, okay. so illiterate. yeah, yeah so you so you're looking at the sign you're, and you can't figure out what's going on that's smart it is and there's all this stuff about you know there, you know there's there's kind of people chasing you down the whole time there's this where you come across signs you don't know what to do and apparently the game is extremely hard but it sounds like they really did a good job of being of, of approaching it sensitively and smartly as well but the problem was that kind of when you release something like this there's no way to not offend you know you know some people like some people will just kind of get offended anyways uh and that was kind of what led to it not really doing well like some people saw it and were like oh you can't do this you know and then it kind of just died because of that but uh like how would you advertise that in a game yeah yeah i know slave escape (laughs) yeah play freedom yeah it sounds like a really tough uh a tough thing to, to to market I think it's a great idea for a game, but yeah, I, I see there'd be difficulties. Yeah, I think it's a great idea too, and and by all accounts, they they handled it extremely well, but they they were just kind of doomed from the start. I think it was the problem, unfortunately. But uh, I had never heard of that, and uh, I've kind of been looking into it just because it sounds really interesting. So um, check that out if you're so inclined. Again, both of these articles were on Vice.com, and that's all I got for news. Besides the fact that the uh, Xbox and the PS5 have been released. You guys, have y'all seen the Bojangles Xbox? No. There is a fast food chain called Bojangles 
And I don't know where they're based out of, but I've never actually seen one. Apparently, it's like a fried chicken and biscuit <laughs> chain. Uh, and they have, let me show you, a one-of-a-kind Bojangles Xbox. Um, that they're doing like a contest, like retweet this and follow us and, and we're going to pick a, a winner. And the Xbox looks like a cardboard box of fried chicken and biscuits. Oh my God. I saw this. I thought this was a joke. It looks like a joke. And the controller, the face of the controller is just a close up of fried chicken. Uh, it looks, they pay for this. It's amazing though. Um, it is, this is the only way I would ever, well, not ever, but this is, if I would love to have one of these. I have no interest in the, in the Xbox, but I really would like to have this. I don't know. I only play KFC themed consoles. Chick-fil-A here. Chick-fil-A. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I will, we're just going to have to fight over it. Cause I want the Bojangles one. That's um, crazy. Jay, like, this would like, be, what what huh? was the meeting where they decided this was a good idea? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know, but whoever whoever's idea it was deserves a raise because this has forty thousand retweets so far. As as I'm looking at it right now, it looks like it's cheap. made out of cardboard. It does. I yeah, it does. And I wondered about that. I wondered if it's actually a cardboard box surrounding it. No, it, it's got to be. Fake yeah, it's got to be really. Way. It's got to be fake cardboard. It shows because... up and it's actually cardboard. <laughs> yeah, that would be hilarious. Yeah, it, it really does look like cardboard, but I highly doubt it's actually cardboard, um, just because of the way it is, and it, obviously, and also because that would probably catch on fire if it was. Yeah. Especially for Xboxes. Yeah, especially for Xboxes. <laughs> Um, but anyway, do you guys have any interest in, in either forgetting about the Bojangles or Chick-fil-A <laughs> version or whatever, a regular Xbox or PS5? What's your interest level? Um, I, pro- so I, I typically play more PlayStation than Xbox these days. So I probably would gravitate to PS5 just cause I've been on the PS4. But I will say that I really don't like the design of the PS5, and I definitely would wait for a slim redesign. The, the current design just seems needless. It's a weird shape. Like, it, it just seems impractical, I think. It's supposedly humongous. Yeah. And it has, like, all these weird fins and curves and bends. Like, get, just give me a square box that I can stack. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't have a problem with the way it looks so much like a lot of people seem to really not like the way it looks i really don't mind but what you said the fact that you really can't stack it although i guess i mean i tend to refrain from stacking my consoles anyway because i'm afraid they're gonna overheat if i do that so really i don't have a i guess i really don't have a problem with the design or the shape but it's supposedly enormous i honestly don't know where i would put it that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're making this way too easy. So now so, we're getting uh, started. I had to choose between the two of them. Um, I'm just going to build a new computer in two weeks. So. <laughs> I have um, a feeling I will eventually own a PS5. I've eventually bought all of the PlayStations so far, and well, I guess technically the PS4 that I have is is my daughter's, but. Uh, 
I just have a feeling something's going to come out or at some point I'm going to be like, yeah, why don't I buy that and try a few PS5, try a few of the PS5 games. Um, something, something's going to, going to trigger me to, to buy it eventually on down the line. But, um, right now I don't really have, there's nothing really, I mean, bug snacks looks, looks okay, but I don't see it being something that I put that much time into. And then there's not really anything else that interests me on the PS5. And there's basically no, just Xbox, you know, exclusive games right now. Like everything that's available on on the new Xbox is see. I think from what I know is also on the Xbox One. And generally, the games that are Xbox exclusive, I've never been interested in any of those. So I haven't bought an Xbox since the original one. So I, I really don't think I'm probably going to end up getting that. But I think eventually, maybe a couple of years, I'll get a PS5. Maybe. Thanks for reminding me. I need to cancel my Xbox. Uh game pass oh i need to do that also i only bought it when you bought it just so we could play sea of thieves pretty much i played a few other things but that was about it that yeah was I guess it. thanks for reminding me when you're talking about that i actually they weren't exclusive it makes my blood boil i, I understand why it exists but holy crap this is me off. my my account name is random remember mine's dozen gorilla does <laughs> i do remember that now like a random name or whatever yeah all right, well, um, Jay, Totoro, you don't have any other news for us, do you? No Blizzard updates of the month? I'll take that as a no. No. But huh? No. So, so two, two things. So, wait, can you hear me? Uh, now I can. Am I lagging or something? I think you are, yeah. Okay. Okay, anyways. Um, so, as I say, is jumping back a couple topics, but I just want to say, Switch is, Switch is amazing. Yeah, the, the shit that they're doing with the, the seasonal games or where they're releasing games for a short amount of time is ridiculous. But you're talking about buying new systems. I am still just, like, so infatuated with my Switch. I'm so happy that I bought one. Oh, I, I knew I was going to. I just, I'm glad I did it when I did. Um, Same. And then the second thing is, so, so in the very minor Blizzard news, they, they haven't done anything crazy oh, there is that Blizzard I've seen. News. I'm sure there's something that they've done, but... No, they, they delayed their expansion after announcing it extremely late, and then they delayed it uh, until, I think, the 23rd of this month. So, uh, yeah, good luck to them, I guess. I don't know. Blizzard's insane. Blizzard's insane. That's That sums up the last, what, four or five years of Blizzard? At least, yeah. All right, why don't we have... Let's let... Since, since Gaming J is now a seasoned veteran... Of the classic <laughs> podcast, I think we can let him go on his first without having to kind of show him the way. So, Jay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it off to you. What game have you been playing lately? Um, yeah. Uh, so recently, um, I played a game called Windjammers. You guys ever heard of this thing? I have. No. It is uh, originally an arcade game, but you can play it on Neo Geo as well, which. Basically, uh, for people who don't know, a Neo Geo is a really old console that was essentially a home arcade. The cartridges were massive, and what was inside the cartridges was basically the same boards that would go into arcade machines. So it was one of the most advanced consoles back in the day. Um, but Windjammers is this extreme sport frisbee game where you have like roided out muscle men who are like on beaches and it's a one-on-one and you throw frisbees at extreme speed to the point where like there's bursts of flames and fire and you are trying to, it, it, it's almost like um, air hockey, essentially. You're just trying to score on the, the other guy's side 
but you can like hit them so hard you knock them out and stuff um it's an insane game i i played it uh for an upcoming video so this is a bit of a you know preview um if you do watch my channel you'll see it eventually but uh um yeah apparently they still do tournaments of windjammers i think at evo i think evo does windjammer tournaments oh do they really yeah it's it's <laughs> you know it came out in 80 something i think or else maybe like 91 i forget the exact year but yeah it's uh it apparently has like a huge community of people who still play tournaments it's still very competitive um and yeah there's a, a small evo tournament where people play this <laughs> to this day that's crazy <laughs> Yeah. So is it is it any good? Um, it is good, but <laughs> it is hard, and I might have got really frustrated when I was playing it. So, <laughs> um, but I I still had fun with it. So uh, I'm just uh, I'm thinking of what I ended up recording, and uh, yeah, there was there was some moments of frustration in there, but uh, yeah, I like to the life for the life of me sometimes i play these old games and i can like figure out what i'm doing wrong and i can see okay i'm not going to be able to beat this game but i see what i would have to be able to do in order to beat this game but in this one when you get to the higher levels the ai becomes so overpowering that i'm like i just have no idea i'm like i don't know what you have to do to beat this guy but like oh, I think really it's just luck <laughs> but I mean, obviously, there's something I'm not seeing. People can beat this, but uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a cool game. I think, especially if you played like couch co-op with a friend, one-on-one -on -one tournaments, like this would be a great drinking game, um, or just <laughs> playing with a buddy. Like this, this would be a hilarious game to play with friends. Apparently, there's a PS4. Oh no, I think this is a PS4 port of the uh, of the original. Is what it looks like. Uh, yeah, so, but that, that should be the same game, though. If yeah, yeah, it looks like it is. It looks like... So you can get this also on PS4 and PS Vita, apparently. So there you go. Play there. some Windjammers. Play some Windjammers. It looks like, according to this thing, it's... Five, it's oh, no, 15 bucks. Maybe not. It doesn't sound like maybe a $15 game. <laughs> yeah, I... I think five bucks would be solid. Maybe yeah. I'd even go up to seven. Um, okay. I mean, I it looks like it's on Nintendo Switch too, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's imagine a hardcore version of Pong, where greased up Arnold Schwarzeneggers were throwing the pong ball, and that's Windjammers. Say no more. <laughs> I'm sold. <clears throat> awesome. Was that so? Was is this in the book, or was this one that you just that you just played? this was um this is i mean okay i'm just spoiling everything now but this uh -oh. i'm releasing this uh on uh sort of the american thanksgiving weekend i usually try and do like a sports kind of game but i look for something that's a little uh a little non-traditional i mean i've played a football game on uh, american thanksgiving too um but uh yeah this was not in the book it was just a game i found for the weekend so cool yeah okay anything else or is that it is that it for you jay <laughs> Um, the only other one of note that I played recently that I enjoyed, but it was perplexing as anything, was uh, Goonies 2 for the NES. I don't know if you guys remember that really? one. Really? Uh, okay, I played a Goonies game. Was this... Were there Was there a Goonies 1 or is Goonies 2 the first video game? I can't remember. So, Goonies 1 was only ever released in Japan, so if you played a Goonies, you probably played Goonies 2. Okay, I just pulled up. Yeah, this is definitely the one. Goonies 2, yeah. Yep. 
It's uh, like a cave exploration game, kind of like a Metroidvania, but it has um, sort of like minor puzzle elements. You have to collect items in a certain order that unlock other things. Um, and if you know what you're doing, it seems pretty neat, but it also is really easy to get lost in that cave. And uh, I mean, luckily you have an 8-bit rendition of uh, Cindy Lauper to see you through most of the game. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> they just have that song in the background on repeat, I think for most of the game. I, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I loved Goonies. It was a trip. It was like one of the movies I grew up on. I love that movie. Um, so playing the game was cool for the nostalgia alone. Um, but yeah, it, in the game, there's like a bunch of, uh, a bunch of like criminals chasing you, shooting guns at you and you can't really kill anyone. So you're mostly sort of running and dodging and, you get into the caves and you're eventually fighting mice and stuff. It's like a standard NES platformer, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those, like, where the hell do I go games? And I'm not a huge That's fan kind of, of those because I, I often end up lost. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. Same here. And when you get into the caves or at least on some parts of the caves, doesn't it turn into like a first person dungeon crawler perspective? Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of that. So, okay. um, yeah, and there's there's like an old man you keep encountering. Kind yeah, of like I remember, Zelda. yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember that, and I remember being very confused about him. Yeah, it, it's funny because like you know, back in the days of like the NES, you figure they were mostly trying to target this towards kids, but like I'm a full grown man, and I don't know what the hell's going on in that game. Like as a kid, I had no chance. It was just so confusing sometimes what uh -huh. you were supposed to do. Um. Yeah, so it's like you have to kind of get items. And like, for instance, I think eventually I look something up and you could get a ladder that would, when you're in one of the first person modes, you see a hole and you can use the ladder to uh, climb down the hole. Um, so that's like an obvious item that you can use, but there's other items that are more confusing. Um, and like, good luck finding everything because it really is a, a literal maze. So, I mean, it, it somewhat captures what the Goonies movie was about, but um you know it's i wouldn't say it's a great game but it, it was kind of kind of interesting to check out i just i remember there being some sort of weird translation thing um but i couldn't remember quite what it was but i just looked it up and 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 found out what it was and i'm sure you probably know exactly what i'm talking about when you when you find this man or apparently there's multiple characters that you can find when you're in this first person perspective and there's a menu system and the menu, you're, the options when you like come across one of these guys are apparently go, hit, take, or tools. And I remember just basically, you know, trying everything out when I was little playing this game because, as you said, it's really hard to figure out what in the hell you're supposed to be doing. And if you hit him, he just says, <laughs> he says, ouch, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? I don't think I actually tried to hit him. Oh, did you not? I, I no, no, but uh, yeah, being riddled with poor translations is definitely a sign of the early NES era. So. <laughs> it is for sure. Yeah, I, I think also when you go to play the game at the beginning, they show you the Fratelli family. So like the mom and I think the two brothers. So those are like the bad guys from the movie. Uh -huh. And I guess this game actually is a sequel to the movie, you know, right. um, and I guess in the opening sort of cutscene. They say, you know, we want to get revenge on you goonies. We're kidnapping 
Sarah. I, it wasn't Sarah, but I forget the name. But it was a name I'd never heard before, and I don't think it's a character from the movies. I'm like, who the hell's Sarah? Like, did you just <laughs> kidnap a random girl? Like, we have no association with Sarah. I don't know who this is, but I guess we'll save her. You guys will be sorry we captured Sarah. Yeah, it's like, oh, Sarah. Mm. <laughs> they they didn't do their research uh, when they wanted to exact revenge, I guess. That's all. I haven't thought about this game in forever. But yeah, I used to play this, and, and like you said, I just... almost all i remember is the first person parts the weird translation thing and the fact that i was always very confused about what i was supposed to be doing yep this is one of the games that i do remember being a kid and like legend had it that somebody's brother could beat it like somebody at school was like oh my brother's beating that game and you're like whoa and they're like tell us what happens at the end you know like you never knew if the kid was lying or telling the truth like you couldn't verify but right right Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, that's uh, The Goonies 2 and uh, Windjammers. Windjammers. I think uh, I'll go next, and then Jay Totoro will let you uh, be the icing on the cake. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. Uh, I've got two games as well. In fact, one of mine is also from the TurboGrafx-16 Mini. That is Lords of Thunder. Jay, have you played this one on there yet? Jay, uh, Gaming Jay. Um, that sounds familiar. It's one of the, it's one of the 800 shoot 'em ups on that. (laughs) Oh, okay. No, not yet. Okay. Um, so Lords of Thunder, of course, was a turbo graphic. Actually, it was a turbo duo game, which based on my research is basically the turbo graphics CD. Um, and so this came out in 1993. It also came out later in 1995 on Sega CD. And in fact, this game is pretty um, kind of well known uh, for uh, amongst Sega CD fans and uh, like hardcore shoot 'em up fans in general. It's it's kind of generally regarded as one of the better uh, Sega CD shoot 'em ups, but it's also really hard to find. So this is one of those games that's going to cost you like 350 bucks. I, I looked it up on eBay Oof. and I think it actually was 350 was what it was going for. If you're buying the Sega CD version. Um, so, so definitely if you want this game, just buy a turbo graphics mini uh, instead, because it's obviously it's the same game and you get a bunch more stuff for a lot for a hell of a lot cheaper. So this is a, as I said, it's a side scrolling bullet hell shoot 'em up. It is. Um, this game is basically, heavy metal transformed into a shoot 'em up it is it's really cool the soundtrack the, the soundtrack for every level the whole way through the game is just heavy metal guitar solos the whole time <laughs> it's really pretty killer uh and also you're not you're not even flying a spaceship you're just a guy in some badass kind of like mech armor and uh, so you're flying around and, and you're not even shooting. You're not even fighting against spaceships for the most part. They, they kind of it's kind of, you're, it's kind of a mixture of sci-fi uh, and fantasy elements that you're that you're kind of that, that, that make up the levels. So like there will be some robots and stuff, of course, that, that you're shooting and killing. But then you also come across other guys in armor similar to you that are swinging giant spike balls at you. There's some like giant turtles that that fly by and they have guys standing on their backs that are shooting at you. 
There's other animal things like giant worms. There's kind of like Loch Ness monster type creatures and that kind of stuff. And as I said, there are other, you know, more robotic things as well and some kind of spaceship like things, but they, they really mix it up. And that somehow that kind of feels like that kind of brings out the heavy metal kind of influence of the game in general. Cause I don't know, some, something about heavy metal and fantasy go together pretty well. And it seems like they're really just trying to make this game as metal as they can. Um, and of course, there's bad guys and there's also environmental obstacles. So, you know, it might be stuff falling from the ceiling and all that kind of stuff. Stuff coming out from the ground. And uh, and it really, it's just a really well done, really cool looking, really cool sounding shoot 'em up There's not, a, it doesn't really do a whole lot that's unique besides kind of just more thematic elements that, that I was talking about. There are some cool little details, like when you get, when you're, you know, of course you're shooting the whole time. When you get close to a bad guy, if you get really close to him, then instead of shooting him, you pull out a sword that you hit him with. That's, that's really cool. Also, when you get really, when you get all the way down to the ground, then you actually walk along the ground as opposed to, to just like floating and flying still. So those kind of were just like neat little details to have. I love um, little elements like that. Yeah. Yeah. And like this shows they put like a lot of thought into it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, it feels and controls well, which is of course vital for for games of this type. You so as you're playing and you're killing guys, um, when you kill when you kill bad guys, you get gems or like you know gem, they'll leave behind gems and, and you have to pick them up to get them. But uh, you, you can get gems from the bad guys, and then uh, before each level, you can buy upgrades. So sometimes it's like more health, or you can like buy some shields to start off with, or you can go ahead and upgrade your guns all the way. So you don't have to rely on getting upgrades during the level. Um, go, I, if you play this game, I recommend to go ahead and pretty much spend all your money. Like I was always, I would always save a little bit of money cause I, I thought I would need it later, but you never really do like it all. You, you will accumulate more like pl- plenty more gems in throughout each level. So just buy everything you can is my advice. Um, and, uh, and also you get, you get four, there are four guys that you get to choose from. They're all generally the same. Um, and they, and they look the same as well, besides just being different colors, but they have like a little bit difference in their bullet spread most of the time. So like there were a couple of guys that I, I think the lightning guy and the earth guy were, uh, there's like a lightning guy, earth guy, fire. And I, I'm, I'm sure the other one's water, but I don't remember exactly. And I think the, the lightning and the earth were kind of the ones that, that I did the best with, but, but there's not a huge difference between the four of them. So you can kind of just do whatever you want. You also get to choose the stage order, which, which is really cool. So you don't, you know, if you suck at the game, you don't just get stuck playing the same level over and over again. You can, uh, you can kind of jump around and, and start wherever you want. And then I'm pretty sure you can also like in, like subsequently on every stage you, you get to choose, um, throughout the entire playthrough. Um, <laughs> sounds like a good game. It's a really good game and I can see why it's, why it's, you know, kind of built up a bit of popularity. The final boss is incredibly difficult. It's one of, it's gotta be, I mean, I'm, I'm not great at these kind of games in general, but even for, even as hard as shoot 'em ups are, this has got to be the hardest boss I've ever played against in a shoot 'em up. And maybe, maybe in, in like any game, it's one of the hardest bosses I've ever, I've ever had played against i eventually beat him but i definitely definitely would not have been able to 
if I wasn't using save states, you know, if I was playing the original game in its original form and wasn't able to save, you know, like every time I landed a hit on the final boss, <laughs> then I definitely would not have been able to because he does this thing where so is of course it's this giant boss who takes up, you know, like half the screen. He's shooting tons of stuff at you. He's also got stuff that coming from the ground that you have to dodge. But what makes him so hard is he shoots these beams at you and they go pretty fast. But when you dodge them, then they turn at a 90 degree angle and go straight up or down at you. So, you know, imagine a beam's coming at you. You move up to get out of its way. As soon as it gets under you, then it goes up from right under you and hits you. It's borderline impossible. So what I discovered after many, many tries trying to beat this boss is you basically have to fly in a circular pattern. Um, I think I went counterclockwise was what seemed to work best for me so that way when you dodge you're not just you know you're, you're moving in the circular pattern so you're also kind of moving forward out of the way or backwards out of the way depending if you're above it or below it you can't just move up or down you have to just kind of move in circles to dodge but that's still hard because that's not the only thing he's shooting at you he's shooting other projectiles at you he's got like a some sort of tail or like pillar or something like that that's coming out from the bottom of the screen trying to hit you as well so it's like you got to go in circular patterns, but that's, but that alone doesn't do it. <laughs> it's like that, that just gets you past the one thing. And then you have to worry about the other stuff as well. It was incredibly hard, but um, yeah, this is, is a one hit death. Oh no, no, no. Thank you for asking that. It does give you a little uh, bit of leeway there. It is not one hit death. You do have a, a health bar. Um, Typically I think you can get hit like five times or something like that. So, um, there is no, not bad, especially for the, for, you know, a game of this type in a, of this era, you expect one hit to kill you, but, um, that's, that's not actually the case in this one. So that was a very welcome little bit of forgiveness that they give you. Um, overall, this is a super awesome game. If, if you like shmups, definitely play it. If you have a TurboGrafx 16 mini, I, there's no reason not to, um, if you don't own it, it's definitely, it's definitely not worth 350 bucks. But uh, I but again, if you're if you're a hardcore shoot 'em up fan, then I say go find a TurboGrafx 16 Mini to play this because uh, it's it's really good. Do you think that so 350 bucks for the original? Do you think the fact that this game has been released on the TurboGrafx 16 Mini is going to make that price go up or down? I would think down because I don't. I, I think the people who would have heard about it are going to already have heard about it. And I don't think there's yeah, too I many. So. Yeah. I don't think there are too many people who are going to find out about it now just because of it being on TurboGrafx mini and be like, Oh shit, I got to have this. I think if you're that kind of person who kind of has your, your radar up for this type of game, you would have already heard about it. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I was just, yeah. Cause I was thinking like, uh, you know, it devalues it by it's more accessible, but it might also draw in more audience. But yeah, I, I, I think down makes sense. Yeah, I think the accessibility um, outweighs the, uh, the the bigger audience in this in this case. Yeah, I, I just want to ask one more thing. Uh, yep. You were mentioning you were using save states, which is one of the advantages of playing a game like this on like uh, a modern mini console, because back in the day, there'd be no save states. So it's uh, in some ways it makes these games far more playable um one thing i've always wished these mini consoles would introduce is like a a, a 
option you could flick on to give yourself infinite lives in a game. Because I think a lot of these games, if they were made now, um, they might like like if if this game that you're talking about was made today, I don't know if the developers would have added in the ability to have save states as you play, but they probably would have just given you infinite lives so that you could play the boss over and over and over until you beat him. Right. So I always thought uh, that would be like some of the advantages of these mini consoles is they make old games more playable with things like save states. It would also be kind of another way of going about it, of being like, hey, you can have infinite lives in any game you want. It kind of modernizes it a bit and then go at it. I think that's a really cool idea, but I can understand why they don't. That I think that would be a lot more work to do that yeah. because <laughs> because the save states are like a system level they 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 take place on the system level so it's right. basically like saying oh you uh like it just you know suspends everything exactly in place it just basically stops executing code and then you load it and then it starts executing code again whereas this whereas that they would have to for infinite lives they would actually have to get into the game and, and alter the game's code itself that's true well, I I was just thinking like a game genie style way of doing it, oh, like find yeah, the okay. memory address of the life and just lock it so it can't be changed. Yeah, I guess that would uh, maybe not be as hard. Maybe not be as hard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I you're right. I mean, it's it's a more complicated way of doing things. But, more complicated, uh... <laughs> but but definitely not undoable. Yeah, when you put it that way. Um, yeah, I think it'd be cool, but I but uh, I can still kind of understand why they'd just be like, oh no, just throw in safe states. I mean, I guess you could make a save state right when you start the boss fight and every time you die, load it up. So you can yourself give yourself infinite lives if you want. Yeah, that's pretty much what I did. And particularly, like I said, on the final boss, every time I would last more than five seconds, I would save it again. Like literally that often because I knew any moment I was just going to get hit by one of these 90 degree beams and get killed because I my health had was like already low enough to where I would get hit by one, uh, get killed by one hit. So uh, I was, you know, saving, I would shoot him a couple, I would get a few shots in and be like, oh shit. And then dodge the thing and be like, oh, okay. I dodged it. Now's the time to save. And that was, you know, again, about every five seconds or so. So uh, yeah, it definitely took very heavy abuse of the save state system <laughs> for me to be able to beat this guy. Don't feel bad. Back in the day when we were kids, we had no responsibilities. We just play games for days and days and days. We yep. were way better at games back then. <laughs> we were. I think you're. I think you're right about that. Uh, so yeah, that's that's Lord of Thunder, Lords of Thunder. It, it was a cool game. Um, I do have one more. This is kind of the the main one that I played for this episode. <laughs> it's <laughs> what's that? Hey, shut up. Um, you're just funny, Robert. This is Moon for PS One. Oh. This is the RPG that we talked about that had just um, been released for the first time outside of Japan. It, uh, it originally came out, as I said, for PS1. It came out in 1997, and it was only in Japan. And just very recently, a couple months ago, they uh, released this on the Switch for the first time ever outside of Japan. And the thing about Moon is, and I hadn't heard about it, but apparently against, apparently amongst very big RPG fans, it's, it's kind of, uh, now I wouldn't say well-known, but there are kind of like the, a niche of hardcore fans that knew about it. And maybe some of them have played 
uh, you know, the foreign language versions of it, mm-hmm. where it's supposed to be kind of a uh, kind of more of a critique of RPG uh, of JRPGs, where the goal of the game is not to kill monsters, but to um, like spread love throughout the world. Uh, in a world that where there is a hero going around killing monsters, but that's not you. Um, and so this just came out on switch. I'm like, let's, let's give this a shot. I got to see what this is all about. Oh, and also it's supposed it's, it was a big, um, influence on the guy who made undertale as you may be able to tell from the description of the game. So the game starts and it's got these big intro screens of backstory and I'm reading it and it's, you know, just kind of a bunch of text and it switches to the next screen of text before I'm able to finish reading the first screen. I'm like, oh, that's kind of annoying. So I'm trying to read more. It goes to the third screen of text before I can finish reading that one. And then it goes to fourth screen and there's even more text and it gives you the same amount of time. And then it gives you another one and it's like size 10 font filling up the whole entire screen. <laughs> and then it gives you like five seconds to read it. So it, becomes very obvious at that point that it's a joke and you're not meant to actually read the whole backstory. Uh, (laughs) Uh. I was like, what the hell? This is, this sucks. And then I see this enormous wall of text that it gives you about five seconds to read. Like, Oh, okay. Okay. That's, that's cool. I get it. We're cool now. Uh, But so you start off and it's basically a, a game within a game. You are a kid playing a kind of standard JRPG. And in fact, this is kind of a funny thing um nowadays in in the context of having of having systems like like the turbo graphics mini or the uh super nintendo library on switch online or you know any of these collections of retro games you know how when you play them and typically they'll have some kind of like background for the parts of the screen that weren't you know that weren't there that weren't utilized in the other uh, in games a long time ago, because the dimensions used to be different. So you know, sometimes there will just be a black background, or sometimes there will be like designs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, this one, there was a. Uh, it looked like an old kind of CRT TV just around it, and at the bottom it had like the uh, red, white, yellow inputs. If you wanted to, you know, plug something into the front and like power button and stuff. This had that. And I was like, I don't know, I don't really like this. It's just kind of distracting. But that was actually, that actually wasn't just a design. That was, this is part of the original game that you're looking at. So that kind of threw me for a loop there, just just based, and not, not by the game's fault at all, but just in the context, as I said, of having, all, having played all these other games that do give you kind of, you know, fun borders sometimes. But, so it's, it's, it's like that to show you that you are playing a game within the game you're a kid playing this game and you basically go up and do and like kill a couple bad guys and then it kind of fast forwards you 30 levels and killing a couple more bad guys and then you win the game and and you go to bed um and then you as the kid in real life you you go to sleep and oh and the story is by the way that a dragon ate the moon so the king wants you to go kill the dragon and <laughs> you uh you wake up and i don't remember exactly but basically you get sucked into the game as this little kid and you go into the game world and it's as if kind of you were back at the very beginning of the game and there's this knight going around basically just killing everything he sees you're in a town and um 
you see like this cute dog and the knight starts chasing the cute dog away in the background. Um, and by the way, that was one of the monsters that you did kill in this, you know, in this like five minute intro to the game where, where you're playing as the knight. And it's really funny because it's this cute little dog and then he walks up to you and then it goes to like a battle screen and the dog's icon, he looks like this ferocious psychotic dog. <laughs> I guess it's like trying to convince you like, oh yeah, I promise this is a bad guy. But in the game, in the actual, like on the other part of the game, he's just this cute little innocent dog. But so you're going, so you're this kid, you're going through the world and this, uh, this knight is just going around, just destroying everything. You see him come across a, uh, a blue slime that that's very, very obviously supposed to be like one of the slimes from the dragon, uh, quest series. And this blue slime kind of like innocently walks up to him and he just casts this spell that just obliterates the slime. <laughs> and, uh, so you see all this stuff happening. You see like corpses of monsters all over the place. And eventually this floating head comes to you and tells you that you are, um, your goal that, that you are here to basically set the world right. And that the way that you have to do that is to, is to heal the world with love. Uh, and specifically the way you do that is you have to catch the souls of these monsters, quote unquote monsters that the hero has killed. So you can basically by catching their soul and their souls appear in the game, basically as ghosts, um, by catching their soul, you reunite them with their dead body and free them into the afterlife. And that's how you spread love <laughs> throughout the world. Oh, okay. And so <laughs> sometimes some of the monsters, if you see their ghosts, you can just go up to it and hit X and it says capture on the screen and, uh, and, and, and you're done. But for, for the vast majority of them, it's more puzzly. Like some of them are like, one of the very earlier ones that's kind of a light puzzle is there's this one kind of faster monster. And when you see his soul, it runs away from you. It runs off, uh, off of the screen, like through this little path. And what you have to do is there's something that you can use to block the path with. So when he tries to run away, he can't, and then you go up and catch him and free his soul. And he goes off to the afterlife and you spread love. Um, and that's kind of the rest of the game is going throughout the world. Um, finding these monsters, figuring out how to free their souls and, and moving on to the next one there. Uh, there's also a, okay. So there's a stamina system and a day night cycle system and even a week cycle system. So the way the stamina system works is actually very confusing. If you don't look at the original manual or, or a translation of the manual, once you do look at a manual, it's actually very, very easy to understand. But this is how confusing the stamina system was. At first, I thought the stamina system, the display that shows you what's going on, I thought it was a map. But yeah. it's, it is not a map whatsoever. It's showing you how much stamina you have and what day of the week it is and what time of day it is. Like It was this thing with like a blinking light is a circle in the corner of the screen had a blinking light in one part of it. And I'm like, okay, I guess maybe that's somewhere I'm supposed to go, but I don't know where I am. I don't know. And then I read that, um, the, the developers or the, the, not the developers, but the people who ported the game, they posted an English translation of the manual online to help people understand what the hell is going on. 
Um, so definitely find that and read this if you do end up ever playing this game, because uh, a lot of it won't make or the the stamina system won't make sense. And what happens when you run out of stamina is you die and you have to start the day over. Every time you go to sleep, it saves your game. So you, typically, if you die from stamina, you haven't lost. De- depending on how far you are in the game, because late as you play, you build up stamina. You won't have lost. But by the time you um at the in the, at the very early part of the game, if you don't understand what the stamina system does, if you die from from stamina, then you've only lost probably five minutes or so of play. So it's not a huge deal if it takes you a couple tries before you learn how it works. But um, every time you go to bed, it saves your game. And then you wake up and your stamina meter is filled. And as you go out and do things, your stamina is, is, is of course going down. And eventually it'll get so low that you start moving slow, more slowly. And if you don't get back to your house in time to go to sleep, uh, before your stamina runs out, then as I said, you die and it starts you back over at the beginning of, of your last save, which is the last time that you went to sleep. The interesting thing is, um, when you go to sleep, it's not just like, oh, you wake up and it's morning. It You wake up a, a certain number of hours from whenever you go to sleep, regardless of when it is. So you might go to sleep, you know, in the middle of the day so that you can wake up at night and go around and explore things at night. And sometimes different and different things. Uh, there are a lot of t- things that happen at specific times of the day. So if you go around and explore at night, you'll see different stuff from if you saw stuff during the day. And this even goes for days of the week as well. The days of the week are denoted by an by like a specific kind of icon that's on the stamina meter. And specific things happen on specific days of the week. And that's actually a little bit annoying to me because if you're not playing with a guide, then you're then you're like, what are the you know, if something if there's something that I need to see on a specific time of day, on a specific day of the week, what are the chances that I'm actually gonna just happen to see that uh and so that part to me is a little bit annoying because it it really makes some stuff hidden that you're just not going to find until you just get lucky and happen to to be at the right place at the right time um is this essential stuff or just like bonus it's it's essential stuff yeah okay that's not cool no it's not cool because you have to save every monster and and a lot of that's like oh this this monster spirit comes out on this day at this at this this day this location this time and yeah so that kind of sucks but yeah that's pretty rough the stamina system is tied into you finding these monsters um so so keep in mind you've got your house you can only go out a certain distance from your house uh you know of course before you got to go back uh, so you don't run out of stamina as you, uh, free monsters souls, you level up. And what that does is it actually levels up your stamina. So as you do this, you can venture out a little bit farther, a little bit farther, a little bit farther each time and go explore more of the world. Now, this is a pretty simple mechanic, but it's also kind of genius because, Jay Totoro, does that sound? I, I just I want to know. It, it might. It probably doesn't. But does that sound? Does that remind you of anything? Not offhand, but I feel like you're going to say something and be like, "Oh yeah." That's- <laughs> probably just because of my superior intellect. Um, yeah. But that actually is kind of a subtle and 
genius, I think, way of recreating the original JRPG feel of you're in a castle, you're going out and grinding a little bit, then you go back out. And maybe you level up a little bit, and you can go out a little bit farther. But then you got to go back and heal. And then, but fighting monsters, then you level up a little bit more. And the more you level up, the more you level up, the farther out you can go every time. You remember we talked about that with Final Fantasy yeah. 1? And, uh, and the same thing happened to me with uh, with the original Dragon Warrior. And this mm-hmm. this creates that exact same loop. It just does it with different mechanics. Which I thought was was a really cool way of kind of recreating the uh the jr the you know the classic jrpg trope of having to do that um even though you're not doing the same things at all so that i thought that was a pretty cool pretty cool touch um so uh there are a lot of like also funny things about this game um it's 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 a very humorous game I don't know. I mean, that may be obvious from what I'm from from what I've already told you, but like the game does have a constant sense of humor throughout the whole thing. One thing, and it kind of reminded me of Earthbound in some ways, because there's a lot of just like random stuff, you know, and a lot of people who have like weird dialogue that's kind of funny, but also doesn't really make sense. One of the things is when you free a monster's soul, what happens is a uh, an octopus flying a UFO comes in to take their soul away (laughs) and not only does it do that but the octopus leaves you money when it does it interesting and uh they just say like the 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 floating head that tells you it's your job to to spread love throughout the world like says oh yeah make sure you take that money because it's going to be rude if you don't (laughs) so there's that there's um there's this one part where there's this tree and it has some initials on it and there's this person nearby and she's complaining about um kids ruining trees by carving their initials into it and she starts complaining about it and then she goes oh what and and, um oh man i was gonna say something really cool but i blew it oh man my older and my older sister and brother are gonna make fun of me so bad because of this and then just runs off (laughs) What? and then there's you meet this one character who is basically kind of like an apostle of the hero and he thinks the hero, like the of the night hero who's going around killing everything, it thinks the night hero is is God. And he's preaching to you about how you need to worship this knight. And then he kind of like, and then he makes you like, kind of like answer all these weird questions before you, you can get past him. Um, There's also like little descriptions. You, you have this book and every time you come across a monster's corpse, you can read a description of it. And, like, they always try to basically make you feel bad about the monster having died. (laughs) Like, there's this one bird, and it says, like, oh, this bird lives underground, and then it comes up, you know, once a day to sit in a tree and scream to to get out all of its frustration about being so lonely from living underground. And then there's uh, when the little blue slime that got killed. That's the very first thing, or one of the first things that you see get killed. It says, uh, you know, they, the blue slimes in Dragon Quest, yeah, of course. They, they have the little like point on the top of their head. Mm-hmm. And this one's just the same. And it says, uh, um, the, all the description says is like blue slime. They like it when you pinch the thing on the top of their head. What? <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just like all this little stuff that's just trying to make them all sound cute and, and stuff. There's this one part where... There's this girl, there's this, you come across this house and it's a husband and wife and their daughter. 
and she's like, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old or something. And she's got a, one of her, uh, she's got a pet who's one of these monsters and he hasn't been killed yet. And he looks kind of like a Pokemon is the best way I can describe him. He, he's got like a shell that's got like spikes on it. And she says, uh, she starts talking about how everybody, I forgot what the monsters, what the monster was called, but she starts talking about how everybody thinks these monsters basically have such great butts. <laughs> And she goes, just looking at his hindquarters makes me dizzy. (laughs) Makes you dizzy. Yeah. And then, and what happens with this, this is minor spoilers, so skip ahead maybe a minute if you don't want to hear it. But what happens with this is one night you go there and the night comes up and he's there to kill that monster. It's this girl's pet, but no, no, no. It's a monster and he's going to kill it. So he's outside of the house, like trying to kill it. And you got to figure out how to get him to stop. And if you try to just get in his way, then he basically just swings his sword at you and you and your character jumps back. So you got to figure out what to do. Well, what you have to do is you go into their house. And earlier, her parents said something about, um, oh, hey, we got a great surprise for you in your bedroom. You need to go check it out. You walk into her bedroom and they built oh, her a costume that looks just like this monster. And you have to put on the costume. And then you have to go out into the living room walk up to the fireplace, catch yourself on fire, and then walk out and confront the knight wearing the costume on fire, and then he gets scared and runs off. Why, though? Just because that's how you spread love. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, that's your question? That's the part of the game that doesn't make sense? (laughs) Yeah. There's this one part where... um, I was there. There's this girl who lives above a bar in the town. And at night I went up to like check out her room to see if there was anything there I could get. And she was in there sleeping and there wasn't anything for me to take. And so I left. And as I did, there was this other lady standing like behind the bar and she was like, come here. I got to talk to you for a second. And so you go over to her and she says, uh, you men are all the same. I know what you're thinking. You want to have coffee with me. And then I was like, oh, you know, okay, whatever. And then she starts chastising you for, for like, uh, like going in and watching the flower girl sleeping in her bed. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. I was just there like trying to see if she had any cool treasure to steal. Like, don't, don't make this weird. But, uh, but she does. She definitely makes it weird and, and gets onto you for like going in her room and watching her sleep. Um, oh, and, the, and, the, and that, so, okay. So that's basically the game. There is also one other thing. There's a mystery about your uh, your character throughout this whole time. Every Not everybody, but a lot of the characters tell you that you look like this boy who went missing from the town not so long ago. And like somebody also says like, oh yeah, it was such a gruesome accident. Um, you look just like him. But here's the weird thing. Everybody says you look just like him, but you do not have an appearance in the game. Your character is purely a set of clothes walking around with like some sort of invisible body inside it. Interesting. So there's some kind of mystery there. I'm sure it gets tied into the story later. I didn't play. I probably played about eight, maybe about eight hours of this. Um, And it is a good game there. As I said, there are some frustrating things that I talked about mostly with like the way a lot of stuff is time gated or not time gated, but day of time gated. Uh, or sorry, time of day gated. Um, but here's the thing. This actually is not an RPG. 
it is obviously very heavily influenced by RPGs. Um, it does have one RPG element, which is you level up one stat exactly, which is your stamina. Um, but despite it being known as, you know, a, a kind of off the wall, unique RPG, it really is not an RPG at all. It's really just a puzzle adventure game. And that's not actually, that's not really what I was looking for right now. I was kind of in the mood for an RPG. And so, uh, that, that's, I think that's why I stopped playing it. I would have, I would have gone through and, and played probably a bit more if I was more in the mood for a game like this, but it, it wasn't what I was looking for at the time. Hmm. So this is definitely uh, an interesting and unique game. And I thought it was pretty cool. Um, even though the art style, it's got a very, very, not even cartoony, kind of like a hand-drawn art style. Like like everything kind of looks like it was drawn and then painted in with watercolors or something like that. And that's not usually the kind of art style that I like, but I still appreciated all the things that this game was doing regardless. But as I said, it's just not what I was looking for at the time. But I, I think it was a good game. Definitely at least worth kind of looking into because because it, it's so unique. So that's that's yeah, Moon. I, huh? I like the idea of that game. It's really neat. So the anti- RPG. Exactly. It's like an anti-RPG, and it, and it really was a cool idea. Um, and so that's all. That's that's Those are the games that I've got. Jay Totoro, it's time for you to work your magic for a little bit. Sure. So for this episode of the podcast, so as I was kind of talking about earlier regarding kind of praising the Switch, uh, I decided, so I've been playing my Switch a lot more recently, and they had a sale for some of the older, uh, for some, some of the re-releases they were doing, and I decided to buy Final Fantasy IX, uh, which oh, nice. I've talked about on the podcast a few different times. But um, I decided to buy it for the Switch because I wanted something that I could play on the go. And it's something that you can easily pick up and put down, meaning, you know, turn-based RPGs are pretty easy to pause and come back to. Because uh, I was playing a lot of Don't Starve on my Switch for a while, which is a great game, by the way. But uh, it's kind of hard to get plugged back into just because how the game works. But I won't go into details on that. Uh, so I decided to buy Final Fantasy IX for the Switch, um, which I'll talk about the Switch version briefly before I talk about the game because I think it's kind of interesting for anybody who's considering buying it. So one of the reasons that I've, I haven't replayed Final Fantasy IX in the last 10 years, like completely, is because every single time I start playing it, I get to a point where my file either becomes corrupt or the game continuously freezes and I, it's just unplayable. This is, and, this is which version? Any version. This is like any version for play the uh, on my computer. So like some form of a ROM that okay, I played okay. for. Because yeah, because this game. So not the original. So the original PlayStation version doesn't have that problem. Uh, as far as you for, know. Well, when you emulate it, it does. I don't no, no, know. No, no, but for, I'm saying if you're, I mean, if you're playing it on a PlayStation, that wasn't an issue. I have no idea. Uh, to be honest with you, I, okay. I know I had issues with my PlayStation freezing back in the day when I was playing Final Fantasy games, but not to a point where it was unplayable. Okay. I will say. When I played Final Fantasy VII multiple times back in the day, I would be playing for hours without saving, and the game would like freeze <laughs> that, up. Or that's like, risky. Oh, there was this really bad bug in some of the old Final Fantasies where you get into a battle and it would just sit at like the the pre battle screen. Oh. You know, they did like that that like one eighty or three sixty panoramic yep. view before you get into the actual fight. Yep. I remember sitting there and just listening to music like, please, 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 and I would take the disc out and I would clean the disc and I would like blow up my PlayStation and I'd put the disc back in really nice and gently. Uh, I remember sitting there and trying to do that for hours sometimes just because I didn't want to lose all the progress I had. Um, but anyways, so the Switch version. So I ended up buying it because I really wanted to play this game. Uh, or I really want to play this game because I, every time I've started playing it again, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I'll, I'll talk about all the reasons why. 
um, in a little bit. So I decided, I was like, screw it, I'll buy it for the Switch. Switch is great. Um, you know, that should eliminate all those issues. Plus the Switch is really great at like auto saving and like closing programs and being able to reopen and all that fun stuff. So uh, this game originally came out in 2000. They released it for the Switch. I don't know when, probably in the last couple of years, but it's been released for PS1, iOS, Android, Windows, PS4, Nintendo Switch, and Xbox One. So it's been re-released a lot, not nearly as much as like Diablo, but it's on uh, many different platforms. So I bought it for the Switch, and uh, I still have the issue with it freezing. Uh, not, not even joking. Really? Probably once every session that I play, it freezes at one point or another. And it's not during combat, and it's not during cutscenes. It's primarily when there's uh, dialogue going on. So it's when your characters are moving around in the world automatically, and they have some form of dialogue with each other. I have probably had it freeze eight or nine times already. And thankfully, it autos... Yeah, thankfully it auto-saves frequently, so it's not a big deal. Um, and there's also a feature to fast-forward, skip battles, um, and some other, like, game genie almost mechanics to make the game super easy. I haven't used any of them purposely because it's really easy to hit them. It's just the R and L buttons. Uh, if you hit those, it does, you know, fast-forward or no combat um, or, or things like that. So I will say it's very nice when you are going through a mass amount of dialogue and then it freezes because then you can load your game very quickly. Uh, we have to curl, close the program, reopen it, load your game, and then you can fast forward through it pretty quickly. So I do appreciate it for that point, but the rest of it is just, you know, I, I haven't used any of those features. Okay. So funny enough, I'm just freaking cursed for some reason, because every time I try to play this game, I remember the last time I played this game, I, I got pretty far into it, like like 10 hours plus before I ultimately got to a point where my file was corrupt. I, every time I would load it, it would just freeze within the first 30 seconds. And I even had like safety files where I would, I would save different uh, wave, different points along the game, just in case, right? Just to yeah. be safe. So I loaded back and I'd get to that same part and the same thing would happen. So it was like the file or that version of the game was just corrupt. So I tried using different ROMs, but if you use different ROMs and you can't use different file load states, the load save states. So long story short, I'm very happy that I bought it for the Switch, though I'm still having this issue with it freezing, which is actually bananas to me, but uh, it, hey, it's, that it's pretty sucks. funny. Yeah. So, uh, needless to say, it was definitely worth worth the replay wait. Um, this game is phenomenal. So, for a bunch of bunch of different reasons. So, this game came out originally um, in July of 2000, and this was obviously the ninth installment of the series. Um, big fan of Seven. I've talked about that. And, and realistically, I, I was thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days of playing this. The ones that were made for the PlayStation, uh, or the ones that I remember for for the PlayStation, obviously Seven, Eight, Nine, and then Ten was for for PlayStation Two. That was kind of the end of that. The Final Fantasy era for the, the PS1, it, it, I see a lot of similarities, and it's no surprise, right? They're all for the same system. They're all made by the same company um, within the same archetype, if you will. I don't know how you want to word it, but they're, they're that same structure. That's probably a better word to use. Sure. That, that same structure, you know. Um, and, and it's interesting because I, I was comparing Final Fantasy IX to Final Fantasy VIII to Final Fantasy VII as I've been playing through this game. Um, and i got to say, it, it is interesting to see how they progressed more and more as the games went on. You can see the different mechanics get tuned and tweaked a little bit. They added certain features to it. They tried to add additional things outside of just the combat and story to make the game more engaging and to give it more variety. And I got to say, I, I really appreciate what they were doing. I also want to say, and I'm going to link to, I, I, I just copy-pasted two YouTube videos um, that I just put into in the Discord. The music is just incredible. Obviously, Final Fantasy VII has a very strong soundtrack. I obviously have seen, you know, 7 to 8 to 9 to 10. 10 has a phenomenal soundtrack that I can listen to just about any time, right? It's, it's just an incredibly powerful um, soundtrack. Final Fantasy IX soundtrack is really, really strong. 
it, it is, it's really, obviously it's the same composers who, uh, who worked on seven and I believe 10 as well, or at least they were part of the group, the composers that did it. Uh, but I just like two, two soundtracks. And the reason I linked to these two, there's a variety of soundtracks for nine that are, that are really good, but this is the main battle theme and the boss battle theme. The reason I link these two is these are uh, tracks you hear often, right? What are you going to hear the most when you're playing a Final Fantasy game? Uh, the battle theme, probably the open world theme, and the intro theme to the to the actual game, right? Like I, I would say those are probably the three uh, most promising things. Makes sense. But I link these two tracks, um, and you're welcome to give them a listen to Robert or, or both of you guys, Jay and Robert, because I think they're really good. And the reason I like them is the the battle music in particular. It has a wide range of. Uh, I, I'm not a musician. I'm not somebody who studies music by any means. It has a wide variety of aspects of, to it that I really appreciate. It has like high notes and low notes, and it has like themes that kind of get you pumping, but it also has more calm moments to it. It's not, it, it, the repeat aspect of it is not short. When I think gotcha. of uh, about, uh, battle music, you know how it, it cycles every maybe 30, 60, maybe 90 seconds if you're really reaching, and then you kind of get the the, re, the reboot or the reboot oh, yeah, back yeah. in the beginning of it. This one does it really well, and it has almost a life cycle to it, I felt like, which was really good. <laughs> That's it's cool. Same. I know, I know yeah, what you mean it, by that. Yeah, and the boss battle music as well. The boss battle music starts off, and it, it starts off with that real, like, getsy pumping moment. Because, you know, in general, there's some sort of motivation for bosses in, in Final Fantasy games or RPGs in general. So it kind of gets you going. But then it has, again, it has, like, low parts to it. And then it has really high, when I say high modes, I mean, like, high aspects to it, or like, high emotion moments or, or things that, that get your get you going a little bit um so i, I want to start by that so the music of this game is, is really good uh, it, it's it's phenomenal it's actually one of the best final fantasy soundtracks that i've heard so far wow, that's and a, i'm not even that's all big. the way through the game and it's interesting because i've been looking through sort of people's um soundtrack lists or tier lists for this game and i haven't even heard some of them yet there are some of the later aspects of the game certain characters get introduced and as well as you get closer to the end of the game and it starts to tie up um, they, there's some music that people have talked about that's really, really strong. So I'm excited to hear that because for me, Final Fantasy X, there are some of the soundtracks um, that you get later on towards the end of that game that still to this day, like legitimately, and I'm going to freaking give our, this sounds super cringy, but give you chills, right? Like the, the Artosis quote, if you will. Um, but it, there are some really good soundtracks later on in Final Fantasy X that I'm anticipating that nine will have as I sort of started get closer to the end of this game. So, um, this game is obviously, as I kind of talked about, has the structure of all the Final Fantasies for the PlayStation 1. You have a very, uh, generally a very strong open to it. They give you some sort of cutscene that gets you into it, then introduce you to the characters, and then you obviously get dropped into the game, right? Um, this game does a great job of that. And, and I will say, for me, Final Fantasy 7 was very strong for the first disc. I feel like the first disc of Final Fantasy 7, I'd love to hear your opinion on this, Robert. Uh, it is very strong because you go from, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of introductory story to some pretty, you know, you get some of the battles, some of the systems down, you get some character introductions, then you get um, deep story, and then it, it does a good um, variance of going from like story to combat to sort of the open world where you're walking around and you're interacting with your characters or you're uh, messing with your material items, and then you get back into fighting, and then you get some more story. I felt like the first disc of Final Fantasy VII was really strong. And then the second disc is a little bit of a lull. And then the beginning of the third disc for me was really exciting, has a big lull to it, and then it has sort of a strong finish to it. Do you think that's a fair assessment of Final Fantasy VII in a very general term? I think, yes. From what I remember, I think I would agree with that, yes. Yeah, and the reason I bring that up is because 
so far, and I don't I, I don't know which disc I'm on because it's again it's on the switch, so I can't really tell you. I believe I'm on the second disc, and I think this one was four discs. If I if I had to guess, I haven't looked. I'm just guessing based on the, <laughs> the game so far that I think I'm pretty far in the second disc. I'm just shy of 20 hours. Um, the game is is expected to take between 40 and 50 hours to complete. And I imagine that the fourth disc is probably the longest one because there's all the extra content um, and all the end game stuff and grindy stuff. So the reason I bring that up is so far they've, they've done a really good job because I'm waiting for that moment. Do you remember in Final Fantasy VII for me, it's when you first leave Midgar, right? When you escape Midgar, that is when the game sort of opens up for you. You have yeah. a variety of stuff to do. You have there, there's it's a little bit overwhelming at first, especially for people who haven't played Final Fantasy VII before. There's still some guardrails, right? You go from Midgar to I think it's Calm, I think the name of the town, and then you go from Calm to the Chocobo Village, and then you go from Chocobo Village through uh, Midgar Zalem, and so on and so forth. There's still a lot of structure to it. But you have a little bit of open openness to it. Final Fantasy IX has some pretty strong guardrails early on, um, and there's very limited. Uh, variance or, or openness to it. And I actually don't mind it. I was a little frustrated at first, but what's nice about it is that the areas that you interact with, meaning like the towns that you're in, have enough openness to them. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of secrets. There's a lot of stuff that you can explore and people you can talk to that give you some good story to it. And as well, this is the second, I believe somebody's going to correct me, but uh, this is the second installment of the, the Final Fantasy card game. Uh, they call it Tetramaster in this one. Uh, and early on, I spent a lot of time doing this. It is a card game where you can essentially collect cards by talking to people um, throughout the game. When you kill monsters, you can also get cards from them. And then you can also get them from purchasing them and a few other uh, a few other ways to do it as well. So in the actual card game, and I won't go super far into it, it's it's a pretty interesting card game. Um, it basically, each, each monster that you, you get a card of has uh, stats to it. And then they have arrows that can be one of eight different directions. So it could be uh, basically upper left, up, upper right, and then basically you kind of follow that pattern all the way around the card. And basically there's a, a, a three by three, so nine tile board that you play on, and then it flips, somebody goes first, they put a card down, and then you kind of alternate back and forth. And there's some mechanics to it, I won't go super into it, that are pretty fun. Um, there's definitely some, some bullshit RNG aspects to it, um, but for the most part, if you play well, you generally should win. And oh. when you win, you basically get to choose one of the cards from your opponent to take. Um, if you if you wash them, meaning you you take over the entire board, then you take all of their cards. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's a cool little thing. It's a nice little side thing to do. You know, realistically, when I do it, I'll probably play for twenty or thirty minutes. I'll play you know fifteen twenty hands or so, and then I'll go back to doing whatever I was doing before. Do, do you get any, a nice? Do you get anything that helps you like in the rest of the game from winning those, or is it just purely its own self-contained thing? Not so far, but it's my understanding later on there's like some tournaments and some other things you can get for it okay. um, that have a larger impact. So I haven't seen that as of yet, but I believe there's some like tournaments that come up later on where you can win some stuff that can actually impact the game. That would make sense. That's that's really, that sounds kind of similar or sounds very similar, not not quite exactly the same, but it sounds similar to, a, there's a card game in Final Fantasy fourteen that sounds similar to that. It's, it's probably the one of the originations. I know Final Fantasy VIII, or at least I believe Final Fantasy VIII was the first one that did the card system. Um, and I believe, I, I could be wrong, but I think eight and nine, the card system is very, very similar, if not exactly the same. So uh, it, it's, a nice little, it's a nice little takeaway. It's, nice little, uh, it's a minor thing you can do on the side that takes away from, you know, grinding through the story or grinding through combat or, you know, whatever it is if you're traveling between towns. And generally, what, what's cool about this one is you can almost play against anybody. Uh, you can just walk up to them and you put push an input input command that's different than talk, 
and generally they'll have a special button you can you can interact with. Do you know? Players. Do you remember what the card with the card game is called? It's called Tetramaster is the name of the. Okay, that's not what this is. Called. This is I'll have to look it up. Wait, is this is a four by four grid. I swear it's a three by three. Maybe it's four by four. Triple Triad. It is, it's got to be four by four. Triple yeah. Triad is the one in Final Fantasy fourteen. I think it was based on something from one of the other games, but not not that. Gotcha. One. I think there's a Star Wars game that has something similar. Uh, I think Knights of the Old Republic might have done it, but yeah, it's oh, like okay. a card game within a game. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that is cool. There were I remember in um, a lot of the expanded universe stuff, there was a specific card game in Star Wars that got that got brought up a lot. I forgot what it was called though, but I bet that's what it was. Yeah, I totally don't remember the name, but I definitely remember playing it. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's a nice little it's a nice little side thing to do, right? Because you know, Final Fantasy games uh, can get boring at times <laughs> when you're just going between one or two different things. And to add this into it, it's nice. It, it is something nice, and um, it's not super challenging. Uh, if you are trying to win, obviously you got to think ahead. But you know, I won't go into detail on that. So uh, th- that becomes available very early on in the game. You basically need five cards to play. I think it's five. And so as soon as you get five cards, which if you're walking around the town, you can find them in like different areas, like hidden items and stuff. Um, so, so the actual pace of the game, so I'll, I'll talk about the combat a little bit later, but the actual pace of the game is, it's good. Uh, they introduce the characters in a, a strong enough order. They, they give you enough sort of foundation for each one of the characters before they participate in your party. And I did want to say one thing. Your party is, it consists of four characters. I actually really like it. I think three was too few for combat. I really like the fourth character. I don't know what it is about it. I think four is good. But it just feels, it, it's like a, it's like a, a, a perfect number. When you're playing a turn-based game, I don't know what it is. I, I think, actually, you know, I think what it is is it's primarily when you play like Final Fantasy VII, right? You have somebody who's acting as a support character. They're casting a lot of buffs and healing your characters, and they have two DPS. When you have four characters, you have enough variance to where one of your main characters can do uh, maybe some sort of um, non-damaging mechanics, right? So steal or maybe buffs or something. You can and get they have more creative. Healing. Yeah, you can get a little more creative with three people. You're you're kind of stuck in a tough situation. Also, when somebody dies, when you have three people, you are in a lot of trouble, right? In a lot of cases, you're like, oh, shit, I need to res this person and then start healing them up. When you have four and somebody goes down, it's like, okay, you can still have one person who's doing offensive mechanics and then two people who are resing and healing, and it's not as detrimental. <coughs> so I, I think that that's part of it as well. Also, in when I uh, played Final Fantasy VII, I remember... There being so many times where I was, where there were other characters that I really wanted to use, yeah. but such a limited, you know, number that I actually could use. That's true. Uh, so the actual story, and actually, I'll talk about the story a little bit. I, I know I don't generally talk about story in Final Fantasy games, but the reason I want to talk about it is I feel like the characters. There are some really strong characters, and in terms of their their background and the arcs that they're going through, add a a, a nice. A really nice element to it. Generally, there are tropey characters in Final Fantasy games, and I was talking about this with, with Lisa, my girlfriend. Final Fantasy VII, especially early on, there's a lot of like really cringy tropes and, and really boring aspects of the characters that some of it gets fleshed out later on. But I feel like Final Fantasy IX has a much stronger um, character. It has a much stronger foundation that they give you early on that builds on it over time. So, so the main character you play as, uh, his name is Zidane, and he's essentially, you know, he's a kind of tropey main character, you know, very kind of cocky and arrogant. Um, he's part of a, of a very similar group to, like, almost Cloud. They're, they're sort of antisocial, 
people who do they, they do some shady stuff for money and what they believe ultimately is, is the right thing to do at the end of the day, right? It's, it's kind of that that cloud struggle, you know, cloud early on is like, I'm just doing this for the money. And then it turns out he's doing it or he ultimately keeps doing it because he wants to, you know, make the world a better place or save the world or save the planet, if you will. Um, but Zidane early on is, is kind of that tropey character that develops very well. So so the main, the first main arc of the game is you're basically there, you're, you're in, in a major city. I, I won't go into the specifics of the, of the names because I actually can't remember most of it. But essentially, you're you're in a major city to kidnap the princess, and that's really all you know. And what what's interesting about it is is Zidane meets up with Vivi. Vivi is a very iconic character from Final Fantasy. A lot of people recognize him. He's the the primary black mage character whenever people think of black oh, mages like with Final no Fantasy. face. Yep. Pointy hat. Okay, gotcha. Yep. <laughs> uh, and the blue robe and the and the cane. So what's interesting about Vivi is is throughout the entire game, he's going through this um, identity crisis. And it's introduced very interestingly early on. So he basically finds out that somebody is mass producing these robots that are black mages that do evil. They fly around destroying cities, killing people, and they look really evil. And Vivi looks very kind and very soft. And it's interesting because he sort of gets recognized as one of these evil black mages that flies around the world and does all this bad stuff. And it's interesting for him because he's struggling to figure out if he is in fact a real person or if he is actually one of these robots um, who is just programmed to do something within the world. And he doesn't have, he doesn't really talk about his memories obviously because he doesn't really have them. And I, I haven't been able to flesh all that out. Not all of it's been explored, but it's, it's a consistent theme throughout the game of him struggling to really identify himself and being a part of this group helps him to realize that so at least so far that he is actually a person um, and that he is, sort of interacting with the world and he's not just there, he's not pre-recorded to do certain things. And it's very sad, especially early on, because you're looking at this, I I believe he's, if I had to guess, very young, maybe early teens. (laughs) I don't know exactly how old he's supposed to be, but but it's interesting to see him interact with this world because he seems lost at all times. And it's very, it's a very consistent theme, as I said, which is very, uh, it adds a a nice little element that that you kind of experience throughout the game. Um, and then what's interesting is, so as Zidane um, and his group of, of uh, scoundrels, as we'll call them, go to kidnap the princess, they sneak into the castle, they do some, they commit, you know, some some ruckus, if you will. And as they're going to kidnap the princess, she's trying to flee. And so it creates this interesting dynamic where she's trying to leave and they're trying to kidnap her. So then they come to an agreement that she'll just get kidnapped. <laughs> and it, it's, it's kind of fun, right? Works out like, for everybody. Yeah, it works out for everybody. And it's interesting because as you sort of quote unquote kidnap her, you find out it's because her mom is going nuts and her mother is the queen. And her mother um, summons a bomb, you know, like the Final Fantasy character or the Final Fantasy bad guys, a bomb, and uses it to try and save her, quote unquote, save her and destroys half the city in doing so or destroys a portion of the city. I I won't say half of it. And so it's it's you from that point on trying to explore and understand of she was willing to basically risk her daughter's life to save her daughter, right? As you find out a little bit later on that she more or less is trying to trying to capture her daughter to use her for something and then ultimately dispose of her. She doesn't care about her at that point. And her mother is, is just going for a quest to take over the world. And she's trying to use certain power that her daughter has because her daughter can summon things and so on and so forth. And it gets to a point where you, you, you're obviously playing through as Zidane and he goes through one of the first really, um, I'll say, I'll call him sad moments. It really was a sad moment is 
of his group of, of scoundrels, they uh, are in this forest and they're trying to do something. I won't go into the details of it, but they're trying to escape the city. And as they're, or excuse me, the, this forest, the forest reacts poorly to it. And the forest basically puts up defensives and tries to defend itself. And when this, when you ultimately defeat the heart or whatever the centerpiece is of this forest, it breaks down and just starts petrifying everything as a defensive mechanism. And so one of Zidane's close friends ultimately doesn't escape and he is petrified in the process. And the visual for it is really good because they're basically trying to escape this city or this, I don't like people in the city, this forest, these vines are trying to wrap around everything as they're becoming petrified. And so it's really, it's really sad and it's really scary because like the thought of that would be awful, right? Like you're sprinting out of the city and these, or, God, why do I keep calling it a city? This forest. Um, and these spiky vines are chasing after you. And as they're chasing you, they are turning to stone and you're basically screwed, right? Like if they, if they catch you, you're done for. Uh, so it's this really kind of sad scene. It's, it's, it's kind of the leaving Midgard portion of the game because it, it breaks away from the, the primary uh, bumpers that the game has given you so far. Uh, and, and you start to realize that this game is a little bit more serious and characters are can die pretty quickly. Because this was not a main character, but he was definitely a character that was a part of the, the first portion of the game. And so, so as you're progressing through the game a little bit further, you start to get introduced to more characters who have a stronger background. And one of the characters you get introduced, introduced, introduced to is a sort of childhood friend of the main character. Uh, the character's name is Freya, and she's like this rat person. Um, she's like a rat humanoid type person. And she's a, uh, she's a lancer, so she has the ability to jump and do all that fun stuff. She looks visually really cool. And so as you progress further on down the game, you start to, um, you actually end up visiting where one of the main cities that she's from, and you're ultimately trying to defend the city from um, the princess's mother, the queen, uh, from from taking it over. She's trying to basically eliminate the, t the city. What you ultimately find out is she's actually there for something specific, and after she obtains it, she so she basically nukes the city and kills everybody. And you escape in a sort of last-minute type mechanic. And the, the cool part about it is the nuke that they use is actually, they use a summon Odin, you know, like the, the, con the continuous uh, repeated summon from all the other Final Fantasies. Odin is that the, comes in. like, Earth one? Um, no, that's um, that's uh, Titan. Ramu, or see, oh, Odin Titan, is, yeah. it, in 7, he's like the Lancer. He rides a horse. Um, he's oh, like, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he basically is summoned by the queen using, you know, we'll say evil power of some kind. She drains the city. She, she takes something from the city and then uses it to ultimately nuke the city. And it's a really, it's kind of a, a visceral moment because I didn't expect it. it. It really took me by surprise. It's been a long time since I played this game. And I didn't remember how sort of rough this game is from an emotional standpoint because it's, you're basically interacting with these people in the city. You are saving them. You're helping them, right? You're you're preventing the the mage army, quote unquote, mage army, from killing people. You're navigating through the city. You're directing people to be to safety, and then it's for nothing. You basically teleport out of the city at the last moment, and the place gets nuked, and everybody there dies. And it took me by surprise. It took me by absolute surprise. Yeah. So, um, it's it's a very powerful story so far. I really like how the characters interact with each other. Um, I will say there's one character I haven't even mentioned yet because he's a very tropey character. His name's Steiner. He's a knight who works for the queen. And he's doing, you remember Waka from Final Fantasy X where he's uh, like, oh no, oh no, brother. The, they would never do, the church would never do that. Yes. Like the whole time he's like, oh, the church would never do that. And then ultimately he's like, okay, fuck the church. Like the church is evil. Okay, I get it now. Mm -hmm. That's Steiner. Like he's like, oh, the queen would never do that. Like, oh, the queen would never do that. And then it's like, oh, the queen tried to kill, his, kill her daughter and... 
she would never do that though. And it's like, bro, what, but you literally just saw assassins try to kill her. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? It's that tropey character, and it's really frustrating to watch it. But the rest of the characters who work around it are great. There's also another character that I didn't mention. Her name's Quina, and she's I don't even know what she is. She is a she's a blue mage. So blue mages in Final Fantasy games generally utilize um enemy skill type abilities. They learn things from from monsters and then ultimately use them back. Funny enough, she's a pretty funny character, very simple dialogue. She she her she has this giant tongue that hangs out of her mouth at all times, and her weapon is a giant spork, which is just it's kind of <laughs> funny. So her her mechanic is she consumes monsters when they're low to ob- obtain their abilities, which is cool. Uh, it's it's actually really cool. The problem is yeah, cool. I am I am very anal retentive when it comes to it. So it's like anytime there's a new monster, I'm like I need to get it low enough so that I can eat oh, it yeah. and learn some <laughs> yeah. abilities, right? Uh, you can't eat people. I learned that, which sucks. Uh, you can't eat bosses, which also sucks. Uh. But some of the abilities I got, I was a little disappointed. I didn't have enough maximum mana to use them. So it was like, I'm going to like scratch my head. Like, why is the game giving me these abilities or the opportunity for these abilities? I can't even use them. So when I did get enough mana to use them, I learned why. They're extremely powerful. <laughs> like, ridiculously powerful. One of them is called, like, Dragon Force or something like that. And it gives Dragon you, like... Force. It's like Dragon Force. It's something like that. It gives you like M Barrier, Protection, Haste, Regen, and like some other <laughs> things. I'm like, oh, okay. So I would take no damage. I would self heal myself, and I get to go faster. It, it's something like that. I don't. I don't think it's that busted, but it's it's like something where when you when you activate, you're like, oh, I see. I, I see. So, uh, needless to say, I, I'm about. I'm just about 20 hours in. The story is really good. It, it's actually pretty capturing. Um, I'm enjoying it a lot more. I will say I'm enjoying it more than I enjoyed my last playthrough of Final Fantasy VII from a story standpoint. The it, it seems like they really crossed their T's and dotted their I's. It's much more succinct. The flow of the story is much stronger. And the in, like Final Fantasies in general, they generally go from like character Robert and you play Robert's story for a little bit, and then it's like character Gaming J and you play through his story for a while, and then you go through you know my story and and you do that. This game does a great job where the paths inter- intersect with each other much more seamlessly. And I appreciate it. It doesn't feel nearly as forced. And there's this really cool mechanic that they use uh, where randomly you'll get like this, if the characters are separated for any reason, which which happens a lot in this game so far, um, you'll get like a notification and you can press select. And there's an option to, to look, you can go through where the different other characters are and sort of play, with, play as them for like 60 seconds to do some sort of interaction to understand what they're doing and maybe develop their story a little bit more. Oh, cool. And it's kind of cool. And it's nice when when a character is like, oh, I haven't seen Robert for a while, and like you'll get like a pop up, and it's like, oh, you know, it'll it'll they'll title it something kind of clever or funny, like you know, Robert farts or something, or like the farts <laughs> that ruined the place or something. And you open it, and it's like you know, Robert's story, and you get to see him interacting with with different characters, and it's cool. It, it's a nice way to remind you that these characters exist and to continuously add on to uh, to the story. So that's a, that's kind of the the general story aspect of it. The and I won't talk about the story anymore because I'm I'm quite a bit further from where I just talked about with the nuke with Odin, um, but I won't go too much further into it because the story is is pretty complex as you can imagine. It's a Final Fantasy game, and of course they have to make it complex. So combat. So yeah, a couple things about combat. It's a Japanese game. It has to be complex. Yeah, right. It's a JRPG. <laughs> they got to make it super complex for to fill up 45 hours. <laughs> Um, so combat, no surprises, it, it, uh, as I kind of talked about, it's turn-based, but this is the first game, at least I believe, that they implemented the active time battle system. So this was oh, their, really? their first attempt at it, I believe so, yeah, so, oh, actually, let me see if it says, oh, no, it looks like the first one they implemented was 
four. Interesting. Really? How's that? I actually don't remember that. So in what ways do they use that? So what active, so, so if you think about like a, a turn-based combat system, right? It's I go, then you go, then you go, then I go, or right. whatever it is, right? Depending on the character speed. Active time battle, essentially what it is, is, is essentially the faster you go, the more often that you will generally get to go, right? So if your character is a faster character, they will get to go more than a slower character. Gotcha. So it's not so it's not like real time or anything like that. But it's uh, but it's not just everybody gets their own turn. It's like you said, one person might go two times before another person goes if they have a better speed step. Yeah, it, it adds a little bit more of a continuous flow to it. That that's kind of the general general basis. I will say, if you told me it wasn't in this game, I probably wouldn't have noticed. It's a very subtle okay. thing that, that you experience. It's not really anything amazing from that perspective. So. I was a little disappointed by that, but at the same time, it's not bad. Like the, the, the combat you're going for, and you have four characters, right? So you are generally working through the menus continuously throughout the game. I know if you hit XXXXX and just attack, sure, you're going to be sitting there waiting for your characters to queue up their abilities and all that kind of fun stuff. But generally, if you're actually doing things with your characters, which there's some cool synergies. So if Vivi and Steiner, Steiner's the knight, Vivi's the black mage, are in the same uh, party, Steiner has access to sword mage abilities where Vivi will cast spells on his weapon right before he attacks. And so he can do some, some pretty cool interactions where he can um, use those elements to do additional damage. Uh, so the, generally the characters have a, a general strategy, right? So Zidane is, is a thief, so he can steal. Uh, he can do a lot of damage. Steiner is a knight, so he attacks slower but does shitty damage, actually. He doesn't really do any damage at all. Um, and then you have Garnet, who is the princess I mentioned before. I should have said her name, but I didn't. She is the white mage summoner. Shocker. You know, the female protagonist. Right, yeah, yeah, of, of course. Of uh, Vivi is a black mage. You have Quina, who I talked about as a blue mage. You have Freya, who's a lancer. And then there's some other characters I actually haven't been introduced with uh, quite yet. I'm about to unlock one of the uh, one of the other characters. I haven't seen her yet. Or I think it's a he, actually. I don't know. I, I actually don't know. I don't remember. Um, which I don't know what they do. So... Uh, but the actual combat, so a couple things. Limit breaks are now called trance, and I'm not a huge fan of the trance mechanic. I haven't used it very much. So it, it's kind of like a limit break, but imagine you get a limit break every 30 battles or so. It, it's it's very few and far between. Huh. The trance mechanic, it doesn't happen very often, and what happens is you don't have to activate it. So once your character goes into their trance, they just they they sort of they look a lot cooler and they look holographic, if you will. Um, but they don't get like a limit break where they get to do a bunch of damage. They are tranced for like three or four different turns. They have some new abilities that are unlocked and everything they do is just better. They do a lot more damage. So it's kind of cool. It's not really as exciting and you can't be, you can't be strategic with it because you can't really like queue it up before a boss fight. You just can get yourself really close to trancing, sort of edge yourself, if you will, and then <laughs> go into a boss fight. Um, it's it's an okay mechanic. I, I, I didn't really think anything of it. I think Final Fantasy VII Limit Break's a little bit nicer, and there's more of an evolution to the Limit Break mechanic. Now, I will say, I haven't really done a whole lot with it. Um, so I, I don't know if like maybe later on it's pretty cool, but I don't know. Oh. Huh. That's interesting. I'm just reading things about this. Okay, anyway. Okay. So... Uh, I was just reading something to see to, about it. So yeah, the, the trans systems, whatever. Um, and then beyond that, so I, I want to talk about one aspect of the game that I'm really surprised at. This game is really hard, uh, like like pretty damn hard. It, it's bizarre. You you don't get a chance to really grind too much, uh, especially early on. But 
I had some trouble with this game so far. The I got stuck at a few boss fights for there was one boss in particular. I didn't buy enough potions. So I had to actually I tried to fight him like 10 times and I couldn't beat him. So I literally had to leave the dungeon and go back to town oh. to buy more potions because I ran out of potions. And I was like very I, I was trying to be very strategic in the fight. So it was like I had like six potions and two high potions and like an ether or something. So like in the fight, I knew who my two primary DPS were, which was Zidane and Freya, who is the uh, thief and the um, Lancer. And then I had Vivi, who is the black mage, and Freya, uh, and uh, Queena, who is the uh, blue mage. Blue mage is the enemy skill type thing. So uh, needless to say, Vivi and Queena did no damage. So I put them in the back line so they take less damage, but they deal less damage. And then I'd have Zidane and Freya just pumping into the boss. And I was like trying to heal them, and but the boss was hitting for an obscene amount of damage to where I'd have to use like three potions on them to even get them to get back the damage that I had taken. So uh, needless to say, I couldn't beat it. So I had to leave the dungeon, come back with more potions, uh, which was kind of annoying. I was actually a little bit surprised. And I was like, ah, oh, maybe that's just like a, a blip and you know not a big deal or whatever. As I got further into the game, though, I've actually gotten to a couple boss fights where I was unable to steal. Because you can... So in this game, it, it's not like you can steal one item. There's generally a pool of items of like three items that they have and you'll have to steal from them three different times to get all three items and you can fail stealing. So you can waste four or five, six turns just trying to get all the items from the boss before you actually start to really do any sort of damage. So there were certain bosses where I didn't get the luxury to sit there and steal through them because they were doing so much damage. I was like, okay, I don't care about stealing. I just want to kill the boss and keep going through the game, Uh, which was pretty funny. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, so yeah, the, the game itself is, is pretty difficult, and it, it, it's a nice level of difficulty. And I will say as well, like I thought at a certain point, if I started leveling more, which I started to fight more battles and have more open open world aspects to it, I would have less trouble. And I leveled quite a bit. And and the I forgot to even talk about this. Jesus. So there's also the aspect of the game to learn new abilities. You get them from uh, from items you equip. Think Final Fantasy Tactics, where you're equipping different jobs to learn different abilities. But in this one, the different items will teach different characters different abilities. And then if you pre- if you have that item equipped long enough, you will permanently learn that ability, which then requires ability points. You have a set number of ability points to equip different abilities, and that's really how you build your character out. So I, uh, and there's also a, a, um, a system where you can make items by combining two shittier items to make a better item, and then you can combine two better items to make a super better item. I made a really strong weapon for the main character. Items. Yeah, super better item, right? I made a really strong weapon for the main character early on. I got it. I made it 10 hours ago in, in game. I just got it in game from a treasure chest just now. So for 10 hours, I had this item for all that time and the game was still challenging. So wow. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually okay with it. it. It's been a nice level of difficulty. I'm not just slamming X and going through the motions in this game. I actually have to think like, can That's I steal cool. this turn? I no, like I need to heal. Yeah, and I'm starting to get some of the stronger abilities. I got Auto Potion, which anybody who knows in Final Fantasy games, Auto Potion is generally a busted mechanic, especially if you abuse it. So I think I'm getting to a point where I'm going to be a little bit stronger than before. However, it's been pretty damn challenging, and I've I've enjoyed it so far. So I'm excited to see, as I progress further and further into it, uh, some of the key bosses of the game to see how, how difficult they really are. Um, the item system, as I kind of talked about, though, it's really fun. I like it a lot. Um, I, it's exciting to get new items in the game because you're like, oh, not only does it teach your character abilities, but it has innate abilities. Like you take less lightning damage, you deal more lightning damage, your attacks deal status effect, 
you are prevented from status effects. And, and there's, it also gives you stats. So it gives you like strength, spirit, stamina, all that fun stuff um, that generally impact your overall character as well. So there's a lot of thought process that goes into equipping items. Early on, obviously, you only have a choice between three different things. So it's you're going through the motions of equipping items. But the actual, uh, when you start to think about it more, and when you're trying to level and learn new abilities, it's pretty darn cool. Um, I think that's kind of everything. Let me scroll through my notes real quick. Yeah, that's kind of everything. Um, I will say again, the music is phenomenal. I know it's kind of the, the beginning point I, I touched on, but the music for this game is incredibly strong. I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not super repetitive, which is really nice. Usually Final Fantasy games, you get in kind of a loop at a certain point and the music just starts to, to disappear after a while. This game is pretty darn impactful from a music standpoint. And it just makes me appreciate Square, uh, Square's music across the board. I mean, generally it's like, oh yeah, this game has a good soundtrack and this one does, and this one does. Oh yeah, all of these games do. So I I'm really appreciative of them, the amount of effort that they put into this. And also the cutscenes, the graphics are really good. Uh, it holds up pretty darn well. There's no voice acting, so that there's that. And there's not really any sound effects in the cutscenes. There's some, but it's very limited. So you have to kind of be over that, which I'm not bothered by too much. I don't need voice acting. Um, the dialogue itself adds a, adds a nice little, little touch to it. So um, I'm about 20 hours in, so I'm about halfway done with the game, I believe, roughly. I intend to do some of the end game stuff when I get there, and I'll probably talk about it maybe in the next episode as well if I'm still continuing my playthrough. But man, I love having it on the Switch. It's like anytime I have to go to my parents' house, it's like, oh yeah, I'll just play Final Fantasy IX. Oh, I have a car ride, Final Fantasy IX. Oh, I'm doing this, Final Fantasy IX. It's like, boom, I can play it whenever I want on the go, and I appreciate it so much. <laughs> Yeah. Well, damn. Sounds like you're pretty. Sounds like you're pretty happy with it. Yeah, I'm excited for for when you get here. I know you played through the second one. I'm assuming you're going to play the third one here pretty quick. I played the third um, one already. I talked. Oh, about you already played the third one. Yeah, that was the last one that I that I went over, and so the fourth will be next. Yeah, I'm excited for when you get to. I mean, five and six are, are great games as well. But I'm excited for. Oh, I guess six was for the PlayStation. Was six originally? No, for six. The no, no, no. Six is Super Nintendo. But I, oh, okay, I think. I'm almost positive they did a re-release for the PlayStation because I remember playing. Yeah, they did because they did a they did a five and six release for the PlayStation. I'm almost uh, positive. That makes sense. I Anyways, believe it. I'm excited for you to get to like seven, eight, nine because I, I really want to talk. Um, I, I think you and I will have a really good discussion about seven, eight, nine when you get to the. Oh maybe yeah, I'm, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think maybe when you get to eight, maybe I'll try it again with you because we can both suffer. Oh, that'd together. be fun. That'd be fun. A bit fun little fun, fun little event sesh, but I'm excited for when you get to the the PS One uh, Final Fantasy games because those are the ones that I spent the most of time playing growing up, um, and I've had a lot of fun replaying them. So I'm hoping that that you will as well when you get there. Awesome. I'm I'm hoping to start four, um, probably around like the end of the year or January. Cool. Yeah, I've heard a lot. Of, I've heard that. Uh, huh. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I've heard from you and a lot of other people that nine is supposed to be really good, and uh, I'm you. You made it sound awesome, so I'm. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's the I, which is no surprise because it's the it's the newest one of the PlayStation One era. But I actually think it might be, and I, I'm curious to see where the story goes. But I think it might be the best PlayStation One Final Fantasy game. Wow, it, it is. It, it's interesting, and it makes a whole lot more sense to me playing this again at the level and playing and like how much attention I'm giving it. It makes a lot of sense why 10 was as good as it was. They, they, there's a lot, especially when it comes to the characters. Because 10, and I won't go into 
crazy detail, but ten, it's like you have the combat, you have the open world stuff, you have all the extra features to it, and then you have the story, and then you have the characters, and then you have the music, and it's like, yeah, yeah I can see why ten really did as well as it did, or was as good as a game as it was because of how strong nine was in all those categories. It's almost like they just took the dials and turned them up on each one of them from nine to ten to make it that much better, and then add voice acting. So all right. All right, well, you guys know what it's time for. Bedtime? time? Yes, but also top fives. Hmm. Top five uh, ga- uh, char- side characters who deserve their own games. I think we may have done this one before. <laughs> I, I think I say that I every time now, but that's okay because I don't remember if we did or what my list was. So I think we're safe. Anyways. Yeah, I took I took a different approach to it as well. So I, right. I think I have different. I, I don't think I'll have any same answers from the other ones. I've got a huge, just mind bending curveball for one of mine. Ooh, that's fun. Not really, but I have some fun making. It's just ones. very. You're gonna have to deliver if you tease like that. <laughs> Actually, true. it's just very slightly unexpected. <laughs> Speaking of edging, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh okay let's let's just do the same order that we did our games in so uh gaming jay what's your number five side character who most deserves their own game sure um yeah and i'll say right off the bat like side character like i was trying to think of well like i don't know how you guys define side character but my definition changes (laughs) from option to option so yeah i apologize if i'm a little off the mark here but I tried to uh, try to give it some thought. Number five, I was thinking what might be kind of interesting is Claptrap from Borderlands. <laughs> you guys cool. remember that little guy? Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's a good one. yeah, he had so much personality that I always kind of wondered what else he did in his spare time. And I don't, I don't even know what game you would do for a character like that. But I thought there's something there. Like he could be, he could be a main character in a game. I, think I would think some work. sort of like um, building simulation game. I don't know why. A building oh, yeah. simulation. Or a racing game or something. A rate? What? Oh, racing game. Yeah, actually. Okay. Why well, would it be a racing game? Out. Like Mario. Because he had wheels. Okay. He on wheels. Okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I was also thinking like a 3D platformer like Mario. But Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, it, it seemed like it could work, but I know he exists in the Borderland universe, which is very like shooty. So um, very shooty, very shooty. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I like the idea of like a racer. I think that could work. Him and a bunch of bots racing around Mario Kart style, twisted metal style. What? Twisted yeah, metal. Yeah, twisted twisted metal. yeah you, can, you can make it sort of the shooty version. Yeah. Robert, can metal. you take us out of here? We're going to make this game. <laughs> that's okay we'll just patent the idea as soon as we get done with this i'll call up the law i'll have the lawyers on standby for when we're done recording uh my number five is elaine marley from the monkey island games hmm. she's the mayor of melee island that uh guybrush falls in love with and she's she lasts of course through the rest of the games as well and I think it would be fun to play a point-and-click adventure from her perspective. Maybe, maybe, maybe during the same time period, or maybe during like the time leading up to it, or something. I mean, there are some. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't work for some games because in uh, the um, the Curse of Monkey Island, she's like a statue for the whole game. So 
obviously that wouldn't work, but for uh, for the other ones, I think it would be really interesting just to also to have an excuse to have another Monkey Island game. Uh, we were playing it uh, where she's the main character. I think that'd be cool. Sort of like your sort of like the game you played, like the Moon game, where you're playing uh, as a background character while there's a hero going around. You could do <laughs> right. like a point and click adventure at the as you say at the same time as the main game, but from her perspective. Yeah, exactly. That I think that would be great. Jitaru? Cool. Uh, my number five is Kane from Command and Conquer. Uh, Kane was the was the bad guy, or if you were he was the good guy if you were playing as the Nod in Command and Conquer. Always an iconic character. Um, anybody who played Command and Conquer would instantly recognize him. He's just this bald, evil looking. The, the stereotypical yeah, yeah. '90s villain, bald, you know, just looks real aggressive. <laughs> does it? Does it? being evil. Yeah, a beacon of evil. Um, I just think it'd be fun to play. As, I, I don't know what it would be. Maybe I, except, I mean, Kenny Conquer is an RTS, right? So I don't know what what else you would want want to do with Kane. But I just feel like he was such a fun character that I would love to see him do something else. If it's like some sort of covert game or building simulator, or I don't even know what it would be, but <laughs> I think it'd be kind of a fun character. What about Kane the college years? Like, see where <laughs> he came from. He stole his hair. See how yeah, he became he smart hippie. enough to run. Like the whole uh, whatever the organization is, yeah. Kane goes to college, moving yeah. up, moving up the corporate ladder. Yep, that's why he became so disagreeable. In philosophy. <laughs> and he's an anti-capitalist. Yeah, even in college, of course. Uh, all right, gaming Jay, what's your number four? Um, yeah, so number four, I kind of went on a journey for this one, um, and I was originally thinking of like characters from Mario games that really haven't gotten a lot of attention, but I think there's something there. And I was originally thinking of bad guys from Mario two, because that has always stood out to me as like a really unique game with like characters. You don't really see that often. Yeah. Um, and I ultimately settled on, I think Birdo, I think mm. Birdo would be kind of an interesting character <laughs> to get a game. Why not? It's sort of like a sort of like a Yoshi type character. Yeah, I was just I about to say imagine. Yoshi had his own couple of games. Yeah, I and and uh, yeah, I think Birdo would be interesting. I was also kind of considering maybe Bullet Bill instead. Like oh, it would yeah. be like oh, an auto runner almost. <laughs> you just get fired out of a cannon on level one. You just have to survive. <laughs> or it could be an endless runner. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think Birdo. Birdo would be like unique and you could, there's definitely something there. You could do some kind of interesting platform or she has abilities or he, I always forget if it's a he or she, but she can like shoot eggs and stuff like that. I so. think it's a she, but I'm not hundred percent sure either. Yeah. I think the original, if I'm remembering right, and somebody might correct me if I'm wrong, I think uh, she's a she in North America, but a he in Japan. Oh no. And in Japan, they said he likes to wear bows but in North America, they were like, well, you can't have gender bending. So they were like, it's a she. America. <laughs> America, exactly. Okay. Um, let's see. My number four is Sid from Final Fantasy. Which one? <laughs> the, the Any Sid. Take him. But, but specifically, it has to be like, well, I guess he always, is he ever not an engineer? Uh, so in this one, in Final Fantasy IX, he's the regent. He is a, 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 a king, or not a king, but he's like a, 
he's the president or mayor or something of one of the towns. It's pretty funny. So he is he is a turned into a sort of a cockroach because his wife caught him cheating on her. So she turned him into a cockroach and won't give him the antidote. Um, but he also is very similar to Final Fantasy X. He is related to the princess. You know, uh, Yuna and Sid were related in ten. They are, I think they're, yeah, they're related in nine as well. But he, okay. actually, he is an engineer because he he fucking makes all the airships. Goddamn it, he still is. An engineer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, he, <laughs> engineer Sid. If that and if that's redundant, then so be it. But engineer Sid. Uh, and I don't know what the gameplay would be exactly, but it would be you doing engineer type things in the Final Fantasy world, maybe like. Maybe like a like sort of like a kind of like a simulator where you're building the best ship for uh, for the heroes to to use or something like that. I don't know exactly, but you mean like the gummy ships from Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> as um, long as it's the Sid from Seven who swears all the time and throws dynamite, I'm down. Oh my gosh, I've kind of halfway forgot about that, but now I remember now that you're saying it. Great um, character, man. One of the best stories in that game, honestly. Sid is a good character in Final Fantasy XIV, believe it or not. Uh, I just looked up Birdo, by the way, on Wikipedia. And uh, oh. so Birdo is a female in the Japanese version oh, of Mario okay. 2. And uh, Birdo in Japan is known as Catherine or Kiasarin. But but basically like the Americanized version. Like, actually, it's, it's basically Catherine. So uh Catherine in japan but it says the english manual for super mario brothers 2 refers to birdo as quote a male who thinks he is a girl end quote and would prefer to be called birdetta some take that as a representation of birdo as trans transgender making her the first transgender video game character <clears throat> There you go. You're breaking boundaries. <laughs> That's funny. I had it in reverse. I thought it was in Japan. It was a, a, a male. That's pretty funny. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Jay Totter, number four. So speaking of Final Fantasy characters that deserve story, I always loved uh, Barrett Wallace from Final Fantasy VII, and I always wanted to see more with him. Barrett's, Barrett's story in Final Fantasy VII was always very interesting to me because he cared so much for his daughter Marlene. They briefly talked about his wife, you know, obviously that she wasn't there anymore, but he had like these really interesting um, interactions with char characters throughout the game, right? So he had like the the scoundrels that he hung out with early on that spoilers, spoilers, they die um, pretty early on in the game. But you also like when you fight Dine, right? So Dine is this character that Barrett knew from quote unquote the war days back when they, when they served and Barrett ultimately has to fight and kill Dine. And it's, they allude to a lot of things that happened early on in Barrett's life that I would love to see explored more. I feel like they did a great job of setting an interesting foundation that it's unfortunate they don't expand on it more later on. Um, they just kind of close his story out and he's just there as a sort of trope later on. But I would love to see that expanded on more in, in some sort of a, a game of his own. It could easily be a first person shooter or a third person shooter because it's Barrett. Oh, yeah. with Vincent Maybe. instead. So, Was that the uh, Final Fantasy Dirge of Cerberus? Yeah. Yep. Did that game suck? I think that's what I've heard. It wasn't bad. The story was interesting. Oh, okay. It was okay. It wasn't terrible. Okay. Gameplay's hard. Didn't manage, but yeah. All right. Gaming J number three. Number three. Um, you guys remember Final Fight, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought it'd be kind of interesting uh, to get 
the backstory for one of the thugs. So I was thinking <laughs> maybe like Simons, not Simon, but Simons. I always remember there was a guy named Simons. There was a guy named Bread. There was a Doug. Take your pick. Pick Bread? one of them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're all kind of interchangeable. But like I'm imagining a game that follows like an idealistic young kid who gets caught up with this street gang that ends up kidnapping the mayor's daughter. He's in over his head and he ends up having to fight a hero. And like, like what is the story that led from Bread getting mixed up with this gang? You can make it like an RPG maybe or an adventure game or maybe it's a brawler and you're brawling against heroes who kick your ass repeatedly. Maybe so. But it's like how did this how did how did he get caught up in this? Yeah, how did this guy get caught up in this gang? That's awesome. So, yeah. All right, my number three is Pooh from Earthbound. I mean, obviously you do get to play as... Well, he does. he is your party, you know, closer to the end of the game. But he's such a kind of, like, mysterious character. He's, uh, he's like a kind of a Middle Eastern sort of martial artist guy but he doesn't he's not really that like he's got some good abilities but he's kind of weak in general but he can get that sword that makes him really strong he's like he's just a strange character all around and i want to know what's up with Pooh, like how he got to be who he is like what like what he's all about uh kind of like his backstory more than anything i think would be fun to to kind of see oh robert i love you my number three <laughs> is an Earthbound character. Uh, but I was thinking more of, you know, the, the gentleman that takes your photo a few times throughout Earthbound? He like stops and takes oh, yeah. your photo. I was thinking it'd be really cool if they did something with him. I, I don't think it could be a full-on game himself, but I think it'd be interesting if they did even some, some little short thing. Uh, that'd be really cool. Pokemon Snap comes to mind or something along the lines of that within the Earthbound universe. Right, right. Yeah. I think it'd be pretty cool. That character is so great, too. That's a really good one. Oh. All right. Gaming Jane number two. Number two, I have down uh, one of the Zelda shopkeepers. Awesome. Um, so typically, um, so the, the, the Zelda game that I knew the best growing up was the Game Boy one. I played that one on the go all the time. Um, the uh, Link's Awakening. Um, and I remember the shops there, uh, and I know in the other, some other Zelda games like this too, the shops will only sell like three or four items at a time. So like <laughs> yeah. managing an inventory of a store, you know, like you have to like predict the supply and demand of the heroes that are coming through and select like three or four items you want to sell. Um, I also remember in the game that I played a lot, you could actually steal items. You could just pick them up and not pay for them and walk out of the store. <laughs> so like maybe managing theft. Maybe there are some dodgy heroes that try and steal from your store. That could be a part of it. Uh, and maybe even one other element could be trying to, uh, trying to deal with the changing political structure of, you know, whatever, uh, I guess Hyrule if you're a Zelda shopkeeper, but if you're in another fantasy land as a shopkeeper, it's like just, whoever's ruling the world at that time. Yeah, like certain items are illegal, or you're getting taxed on certain items, or you're not supposed to sell to certain heroes, and like how do you navigate all that? So, um, yeah, I'd like to see sort of like a Zelda-ish shopkeeper kind of side character get their own game. All right, my number. I play that game. <laughs> I would too. My number two is 
Splinter from Ninja Turtles. Hmm. And I thought of him actually too. No, did you? I think the game would be based around you like training the Ninja Turtles and figuring out what <laughs> missions they're going to go on and that kind of stuff. It wouldn't be like a action game. It would be uh it would be more of like a management type game. That's actually way better than what I thought of. I thought of just putting <laughs> Splinter into a brawler. I was like, oh yeah, have him fight guys. <laughs> <laughs> he could probably do. I'm sure he could still hold his own. He's old, but he's he's like a. No, your idea sounds way better. <laughs> All right, Jay Totoro, number two. Uh, number two for me is going to be Pyramid Head. Um, I don't know <laughs> what you would do with it, but I think it'd be really fun. that guy. I was terrified as, a, as that guy as a kid and as a teenager when I saw the the first movie, but. Uh, I would love to play some sort of game that involved Pyramid Head. Either you're killing people, or it's a fighting game, or I don't care what. That dude is nuts, so I think it'd be pretty fun. It'd be <laughs> fun to run around and, like, stalk people. Right? Yeah, just scare the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number, all right, we're down to one to number one. All right. Uh, I actually had an honorable mention in the spirit of the day. Uh, which was uh, Jason Voorhees. Um, <laughs> <laughs> since it's Friday the 13th when sure. we're recording. Um, oh, true. Yeah, and just as a, a small aside, um, I recently for Halloween played uh, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, and the original concept for Nightmare on Elm Street uh, for the NES back in the day was to be Freddy Krueger hunting and killing teenagers. Oh, and wow. the game was described that way, in a lot of early press material. But then when it finally came out, you were teenagers trying to kill Freddy and nobody's ever explicitly said so. But I think the idea is Nintendo didn't want a game where you were killing teenagers. So they kind of made them. Reverse yeah, it. I can, you can understand understandable. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that concept could hold up. Um, but anyway, that's, that's my honorable mention. My actual number one was uh, metal Sonic from Sonic. the Hedgehog. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> God, he was hard. Yeah, I and I feel like he never got a game, but I mean, he like you'd be a badass if you were Metal Sonic. Like you could uh, you could imagine a ton of cool abilities that he could oh, have, yeah. and you could do a platformer if you wanted. I think that'd be the go-to, but you might be able to do more with it. So that's a good one. I like it. My number one is, I mean, I guess maybe he is a side character in in a game technically, but mostly he's a side character from movies. And uh, that's RTD2. Hmm. And I think maybe a good, I think it would be fun to have a point and click adventure game where you are R2D2 trying to, you know, do whatever is going on. I picture a lot of puzzles in that game and you'll have to like hack terminals and stuff. Yeah, a lot of puzzles and, and like figuring out. So, you know, the um, in a typical point and click adventure game, you have the verb menu where it's look at, open, touch. I think this would be like the different tools that R2-D2 has would replace those. So, you know, his scanner or his little hacking thing or his shocking thing or, you know, what, what you know, you could pick any number of, of his gadgets that he has built in. I thought you were going to say beep, boop and bleep when you were saying like, <laughs> look, touch or whatever. <laughs> different kinds of beeps are his options. That, that would be awesome. Every every dialogue tree, those are your just your options. <laughs> oh, that would be so hilarious. You actually have dialogue conversations and it's like different orders of beeps that you can get. 
<laughs> the same options every single time. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, Jay Tataro, you want to wrap it up? Yes, sir. Uh, my number one would be, it doesn't have to be specifically Nurse Joy, but any of the nurses from Pokemon. I think it'd be very interesting to have a game where you're you're tending and, and, and healing Pokemon as they're coming in wounded, because that was their entire job, was to mend and fix the Pokemon as they came in damaged from battle. I would love to play something like that. I think it'd be That's very cool. interesting if they did it well. Uh, it could be something as simple as like a mobile game or something where you're just like feeding and raising Pokemon or something, but I think it'd be really fun. I think that's a good idea too. Should you do like actual surgery on the Pokemon? Like have to cut them open and stuff? Or <laughs> I was actually thinking about that like surgery simulator. <laughs> yeah. I was actually thinking about it. I was like, man, that'd be so fucked up. But I'm like, I wonder what Pokemon <laughs> organs look like. <laughs> what Pokemon <laughs> organs look like. I wonder what they do look like. What do you think they would look yeah. like? Like, I don't know. Uh, well, they could just be guts, could or they could be... be like they could look like candy or something. You know, they're magical creatures. <laughs> I guess we'll never know, or maybe one day we will. I was just saying, maybe we will know. All right, our next top five list is as we discussed earlier: games that are good, but the gameplay isn't the good part about it. This may be hard as hell. I have a feeling it's going to be at least pretty hard. But uh, but that's what that's what it is. Okay. I'll be curious to hear what you guys come up with. I will be too. (laughs) All right. Let's go to emails. We've got four or five, something like that. Let's jump into uh first one is going to be from Chase the Night Cleaner. Chase says, uh, hello, gentlemen, Chase the Night Cleaner here with a new email that may or may not result in some insane tangents about your pasts again. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so here we are on the cusp of, of a new generation of gaming and how many generations can we actually remember anyway? This last generation has spanned seven years and counting if you want to include the Switch as part of this gen, I still remember the 90s and 2000s when it was like a rotation every four to five years. But uh, but I mean, my wallet doesn't mind the longer design cycles these days. That said, there's nothing wrong with living in the past in the backlog of catalog backlog catalog of great games I've never played or haven't finished. It just keeps growing. Speaking of games, you need to play Gaming J, or as I like to call him, J number two, is supposed to be on the show tonight. How are you, J number two? Stay inside. Ontario's numbers are way up, dude. If you're in the GTA, please stay safe. Oh, I'm I'm definitely in full hermit mode. Uh, one nice thing about being an introvert who likes to stay inside <laughs> in the basement and play video games is that you adapt very well to quarantine situations. It's so. very true. Very true. Yeah. I appreciate the uh, the, the advice. I am following it. He says, I watched your Halloween special with Silent Hill and your responses to that game were a real highlight at the end of that month. You made me laugh often, and for that I thank you. I am excited for someone to take the time and count how often you say creepy in that episode. (laughs) (laughs) As for those other guys on this show, uh, Robert J. Number One, what is shaking? I just want to let you know I'm currently spread out on a nice leather couch with the lights turned low and some house music playing, a drink in one hand, nodding to the beat and saying, <laughs> and, saying no, <laughs> I knew it was and saying, fuck yeah. 
Uh, very very nice chase uh great stories last episode and thank you for so much for sharing them (laughs) yes thank you for the question chase we had a lot of fun uh, obviously answering that absolutely Uh, out of out of courtesy i will participate in the top five but with a single comment side character who needs their own spinoff blanca from street fighter 2 and every street fighter he shows up in like what that's a good one like, what really is this dude's yeah. story? I've won with him a few times in a few games, and it isn't 100% clear. I mean, the horribles, the horrible 90s live-action Street Fighter movie gives Blanca's backstory more context than the games do. I think in the Super Nintendo manual, there was a small backstory about being raised by animals, but then why can he conduct electricity and generate it? What? Give this guy a prequel game. Which leads me to my question. I think you're right about him being raised by animals. I, I think I remember reading something like that too in the manual. Plus, he's from Brazil, so that probably yeah. explains something. He's from Brazil. It, it explains something. I'm not sure what. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Which leads me to my question of the day. Can you identify specifically what generation console you are most excited for and why? For me, what gener- Okay, I think it just means what console. For me, it had to be Super Nintendo. Not only does that system hold some of my favorite all-time titles with PlayStation and Close Second, but I was at that magic age for a child where everything in gaming just started to click in my brain. uh, Super Nintendo is the console and generation I learned to play fighting games that I really got into beat-em-ups, that I really started to understand and love RPGs and their mechanics. And even though NES had some great platformers and action-adventure games, the Super Nintendo just pushed everything further with better polish and quality. I could easily fill an entire episodes. I, I could easily fill entire episodes of gaming podcasts talking about my favorite SNES games, but I feel like that market might be taken. And that's it for me, gentlemen. Um, so guys, so, okay. What is our, what was the console that we were most excited for? Uh, for me, it's going to be PS2. Uh, kind of as you talked about, that was like that magical time for me where I start. I actually had some money so I could start working towards getting uh, consoles. And I was very excited for all the titles that were coming out for it because I had spent a lot of time uh, playing the PlayStation 1. So I was very excited for that one. <clears throat> uh, yeah, yeah give me, Jay. I think for me, I'm, I'm like Chase there. Um, so the Nintendo is like my youth. It's like I have so many nostalgic memories of, you know, friends and playing after school and stuff. But I think in terms of like excited, I remember when the Super Nintendo uh, was coming out and like, I think my dad rented one from a video store and he had to leave like a $200 deposit, which was very unheard of back then. Yeah, that's nuts. Um and I remember like getting that system for a weekend and playing Mario and Mario World and just being like blown away. I was like, this is like the future. I was like, no, it's never going to get better than this <laughs> when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I think um, uh, exactly like Chase, a lot of my formative, um, you know, sort of maturing into games happened around uh, for the Super Nintendo. I, I think I, I'm sure I was very excited for the super nintendo but i don't really remember uh i know i was pretty excited for playstation as well i think the one that i was most excited for in terms of purely just anticipation was uh probably sega cd because <laughs> really yeah i think so part of it was because it was a christmas present so like i had the whole christmas anticipation building up for it you know i knew exactly when i was gonna get it and all that kind of stuff um 
And of course I was like, oh, this is just going to be insane. It's going to blow everything away. It's going to be so powerful. I can't, I just can't wait. Obviously the Sega CD was not a great system, but I think I was the most excited about getting it. And, you know, the anticipation was so great that playing it, I thought it was, you know, awesome because I just already convinced myself that it was going to be awesome. So, uh, so I didn't get let down by it or anything, but I, yeah, I have to say as far as beforehand being excited to get it, it might be Sega CD for me. I miss getting that excited about consoles. I know it is. It just doesn't quite happen anymore. Now, now they come out too frequently or I don't want to buy them because they're too damn expensive. Yeah. Or you still have a backlog of games on the existing generation. Yeah, yeah we, we don't talk about those. We don't talk about those, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says, Gaming Jay, thanks as always for being such a great sport, a wonderful creator, and a stellar representation of the great white north. Oh, that's very nice. Thank you. Great. I appreciate that. He says you're a great sport, like like as if it's a chore for you to be on the podcast. Like, you're such a good sport about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I got to put up with you guys. <laughs> uh, Robert and Jay, number one, thank you as always for this sh- for this section of your show and all that you do. Cheers, and don't worry about the mess. That's what they pay me for, Chase and Night Cleaner. Thanks, Chase. All right. Uh, next one is from uh, Burger Champ writing in once again. He says, hey guys, it's Burger Champ with a new query for you and guest. Do you like character creators in gaming or do you prefer to play as a predefined character? When you use character creators, do you tend to make them look and act like you or do you create a fictional character to play with? Do you tend to play in a way... All right, let's take this one at a time. Do you like character creators or do you prefer to play as a predefined character? Predefined. I, I don't, even when there is an option to make characters, I hit random and go. Usually, really? I don't really spend a whole lot of time doing it, especially when you're playing a first person game. It's like, the fuck do I care what it looks like? <laughs> <laughs> Jay? Um, I generally don't bother customizing my characters too much, but I do like having the option, unless it's a game that makes you grind to unlock hats and jackets and crap like that. That's the one thing that really bugs me about um I, I feel like it's more of a symptom of more modern games but like you know they have all these cool things to make your character look awesome and you can customize them but you got to play for like 400 hours to unlock everything and then i just don't i just tune it out. i don't care at that point gotcha i'm I, I guess i'm kind of the opposite of you guys i like creating my own character um i just think it's more fun to uh like oh i get to pick what he's gonna look like is instead of just getting what they what they give you um all right next part is when you use character creators do you tend to make them look and act like you or do you create fictional character to play with generally fictional or random fictional for me yeah yeah i uh i guess i try and make my character look like someone cool so, so I guess not like me. Oh, it's such a cell phone. Um, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. No, I'm I'm kind of the same. <laughs> Just make him look cool. You, you make the like character me. look like an idealized person that you would like to like live in whatever universe. Yes. For the game exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, do you tend to play in a way you would, or the way you think your character would? These are good questions. Yeah. One of the problems I always have with playing 
um, RPGs. Like, I'm specifically thinking about Fallout because um, in the Fallout franchise, there's like a real nice you can be good or you can be bad, and there's sort of the two ends of the spectrum. Um, I usually by default end up being a good character, but then I, I go back in and I try to be a bad guy and I can never stick with it. Oh, really? Yeah, like I'm, I just start to feel too bad and too guilty. <laughs> and like, even when I make bad choices, they're not the worst choice you can make. Or I make it and I just like, like oh, I can't believe I did that. So <laughs> I guess I play generally as being at least okay, if not a good guy. Um, I think I generally, yes, do the exact same thing, more or less. Like I usually do a good guy. Um, and then if it's a more... If it's a game where I know you don't kind of have to, you're not going to be rewarded specifically for going all the way bad or all the way good. If there is room for middle ground, then yes, I will kind of uh, play it more along the lines of, I think normally I'll, I'll do what I think I would do as opposed to yeah, what would this character do. But this actually reminded me of, of an interesting experience I had with uh, Papers, Please of all games. Well, I guess maybe it's not that surprising if you know anything about papers please so papers please is is the game it's not very old it came out six or seven years ago i think um maybe not even that long actually where you are a guy checking people's passports it's an indie game where you're a guy checking people's passports at the border of uh i forgot i think it's some fictional it's country definitely a made up yeah it's okay made up yeah it's a made-up country but it's supposed to be kind of like Maybe something similar to Russia or something like that, I believe, is kind of what it's supposed to be like. And um, so, so part of the game is just purely the mechanics of see how many people you can get through in a certain amount of time uh, and make sure you check all their stuff properly and, and you don't you know, miss something that's wrong on their passport or other paperwork. But another part of the game is um, like choosing morally what you think the right thing to do is in any situation. So maybe their paperwork isn't hundred percent perfect, but they're like, Oh, I'm fleeing my country for persecution or something like that. Or oh, this one of those things that happens is you let a guy through and he's like, Oh, my wife's right behind me. I'm going to wait for her. And her paperwork isn't right. So the guy is in, but you have, but if you do what you're supposed to do, you, uh, you're not going to let the wife in. And the game is constructed in such a way that, you can make these decisions. It's not like, oh, you have to do it and it's game over. I mean, there are penalties, but there are also benefits to letting somebody through even if you don't think they should. So there are some pretty tough decisions in that game at some point where you have to decide, am I going to let this person through or not? And and what I found myself doing is I started playing the game saying, okay, I'm going to play, I'm going to do a run and I'm going to play as kind of an authoritative ass that doesn't care. And he's just there to do his job. And then I would play again. And I'm going to say, okay, this time I'm going to be a guy who's, you know, very friendly and just cares about everybody. And I would kind of give myself different personas to play as. And, but what I realized that I was actually doing was shielding myself from having to make the decision <laughs> myself in my own conscience because it was really genuinely pretty hard at some points to say, what would I do in this situation? And I was like, oh shit, I don't know. And I, I realized that I was kind of coming up with these two, two, like almost subconsciously to avoid those dilemmas of having to, to make the decisions on my own. So uh, that was, that was a 
that that's a really good game. So you should check that out if you haven't. But I kind of had that epiphany as I was playing it. Uh, it is a good game. Yeah. And that's it from Burger Champ. He says, keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Burger Champ. Um, all right. We got, I think, two, yeah, we have, uh, let me see. Hold on. Yes, we have two from Father Beast. Jay Totoro, I'm going to let you do the first one if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, I'm going to have to paste this in two parts. <clears throat> Uh, Father Beast says, hello, Classic Gamers. This is Father Beast. In the 1995 games, I'm surprised to discover that I do have 10 games that I actually have played, even <clears throat> if for a short time. First off, let me list honorable mentions. That is games of note I have heard of but have not played. Command & Conquer, Star Trek The Next Generation, A Final Unity, XCOM Terror from the Deep, and now my top 10 games of 1995. Number 10, Baldi's. I played some demos of this when they showed up in the shovelware compilations. My problem was I had no idea what I was doing, and I couldn't find a tutorial or a manual. Number nine, Caesar 2, the ancient city building game. I was interested in the funny mechanics, oh, excuse me, the funny mechanic of walkers and how they worked, but I never got very far. Number eight, Journeyman Project 2, Buried in Time. I played the original Journeyman Project game, and this is kind of more of the same. This is an adventure game where you play as a time traveler far from the future, excuse me, from the far future, who gets to travel to various time periods to solve a mystery. You're forbidden to actually interact with the denizens of those times, so you never actually talk to anybody. Warcraft 2, Tides of Darkness. This is just a fun RTS. All the units have these cute things to say, and the expansion is fun. Number six, Full Throttle, one of the greatest LucasArts scum games. Not as good as Monkey Island or Day of the Tentacle, but it's still great fun. Some people call this the punch and kick instead of point and click adventure due to the main character's tendency towards violence. Number five, Descent. Oh, six degrees of freedom as they hyped. In actuality, it was, the it was a first person shooter where you float around and there is no up or down and it's really easy to get lost in the tunnels. Still, I really enjoyed it. Number four, The Flight of the Amazon Queen. This is an adventure game in the vein of LucasArts in the sense that it doesn't seem to have any way to die or to make an unwinnable situation, but it's not by LucasArts. Lots of fun with ridiculous plot, well, excuse me, with a ridiculous plot about evil scientists in South America making prisoners into lizard women. My favorite part is where you have, to, you have a conversation with a talking gorilla and convince him that he doesn't exist, whereupon he fades away. <laughs> Number three, Ascendancy. Turn-based 4X strategy space game. Excuse me. You have uh, your worlds, which you build up, and then there's a star system map, which are in 3D, and you can rotate and zoom and stuff. The star system map is also where you have any battles with, any, with other players. The galactic map is also 3D, and a passage between systems is, is with the connected star lines. Number two, stars. This is a shareware title, which never got a box release. I discovered it around 2003 and was so impressed buying the full version of the game was the first time I spent money on the internet. I had to avoid <laughs> avoid that up until then. This is another space-based 4X turn-based strategy game in which it's all about gameplay, not the graphics or sound. It doesn't even have any sound and the graphics are very primitive, but the gameplay really grabbed me. Number one, Heroes of Might and Magic, the original. There are so many things that are frustrating about this game, which were fixed in the sequel, but, I, but this game has all the stuff, even though... It's like fighting with the interface compared to the later games. Still, it is, a, it is genius back in the day. I played a lot and loved it. Okay, I will send my Civ 4 review in another email, hoping to save someone's voice. 
Do you do y'all remember the first time you spent money on the internet? Oh man. Oh jeez. No. Yeah, no. I wonder the when he said that the first time it was the first time I spent money, the first thing that came to my mind was I think for me it might have been cdnow.com which is the place where you could just order CDs. And it eventually got bought by Amazon. Um but I think that I might, I think buying C, like there was a CD that I couldn't find anywhere, but CD now had it because, you know, they of course had, you know, more obscure stuff than you could just find in a, in a store. I think that might've been the first time I bought something online. I think for me, it must've been eBay. Oh, that's, really? That's my guess. That, that's my guess. I can't remember what, what I bought though. <laughs> Wait, what did you buy? Do you know? No, like no idea. Um, <laughs> it was probably something game related. Um, I'm trying to think of like the oldest eBay purchase I can remember. It was probably, it might have been like uh, Enter the Matrix on CD or maybe Metal Gear Solid <laughs> for PC. But I might have even bought stuff before that. I just can't remember. My oldest eBay purchases there I can remember two. I don't know which came first, but they were both around the same time. When I when I started college, I don't know what happened. I don't know why specifically. I was like, oh, I got to get stuff on eBay now. <laughs> like I, I don't know what the connection there was, but I just remember spending a lot of time on eBay, being like, oh, I got to get some stuff, and I bought a, a Moss Eisley Cantina shot glass that was like sold at Disney world at some like at some point and i bought a uh another star wars glass a uh, return of the jedi glass from burger king that came out like when return of the jedi was originally released um and i still have i actually still have both of those <laughs> it was why like, those why i don't because because uh, yeah. i love star wars and i guess i was like oh i'm in college i need a shot glass and I was probably, I probably just wanted another regular glass just to like fill up while I'm hanging around the dorm room. Cause I had, cause you know, didn't have a whole lot of stuff, but I needed something to drink out of. So like, oh, those are cool. I'll just have a nice cool glass. That's awesome. Cause it has Star Wars stuff on it to uh, just okay. fill I, up in the I sink. Yeah. I wasn't judging your choice of Star Wars glasses. I was just like, no, no, why no. order one of each? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I see what you're doing. Yeah. Um, okay, next one. Okay, I'll read the next one from Father Beast. He says, um, so this is his write-in for game of the, for the last game of the quarter, Civ 4. Um, I was excited to play Civ 4 as the game of the quarter. I've been very into Civilization since I bought the first one bundled with Colonization. I later got Civ 2 and played it to distraction. I was hyped for Civ 3, but then I lost my job and had to cancel my pre-order. Astonishingly, astonishingly, Someone on the fan forums bought the game for me. Unfortunately, the more I played, the more my excitement waned, and I eventually drifted away from Civ. Then I lost a different job in 2009. I was unemployed and working temp jobs for most of that year, and I got somewhat depressed. Then my wife bought me Civ 4 Complete for my birthday, and playing this version raised my spirits considerably. I consider Civ 4 to be the ultimate version of the original Civ game. After that, various rule changes turned it into less of a strategy game and more of a tactics game. Uh, for those unclear on the difference, tactics is about maneuvering and strategy is about log logistics. 
I bought Civ 5 and played it some, but just don't have the same feeling. I still haven't bought Civ 6. Civ 4 is what I like. So for my game, I chose huge map, continents, marathon speed, settler difficulty, and Hatshepsut of Egypt because I like the culture bonus she gives. That will become important because of the way I play. I want to try and grab all the religions because that is important to my later strategy. The way Civ 4 handles religion is the first player to research a certain tech founds the religion associated with that tech. I didn't even know that. Uh, I found I founded his du- Hinduism on turn 36 and Judaism on turn 91. Later on, I got Christianity and Islam. So I only got four of the seven religions. That's really funny that as one civilization, he founded Hinduism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Yeah. Uh, by the time I had expanded to five cities, I was bumping against my neighbors. This is where the culture part comes in. In Civ 4, your cities produce culture, which spills out and expands your borders. When your borders meet the cultural borders of another Civ, they interact. If it becomes a majority of your culture, you can harvest resources from it, and cities can also flip to your side. So when I heard that the Byzantine city of Adrianople had founded Confucianism, I looked at my map and saw that Adrianople was a border city, so I would probably take it over with my culture at some point, and I did on turn 749. On turn 948, Japan declares war. He's across the ocean, so he will probably do nothing for a while and then ask for peace. I was wrong. He landed an invasion force on my coast. I still wasn't worried, since my cities were defended by infantry units that were way stronger than knights and catapults. I was wrong again, and he took the city of Nicodemia, that bastard. So I rush-built a bunch of units in Adrianople and Iron Sun and took it back with helicopter gunships. <laughs> then I built some transports and went across the sea and invaded the Japanese homeland. I took four of his cities before he sued for peace. I then started spreading my culture on that continent. On turn 1069, I had researched all technologies except future tech. I switched my science to 0% and my culture to 100% to speed the process of taking over the world by cultural dominance. I got a great engineer and founded the Creative Constructions Corporation. Corporations are kind of like religion for the late game, providing bonuses for the cities they spread into and providing money to the home city for every city they have spread into. On turn 1088, I built the Apollo program. I intend to build all the spaceship parts in this city. I also spent over 40,000 gold to rush the the finish of the space elevator, which makes the spaceship parts build faster. On turn 1125, a random event popped up. Computer game developers have made a new version of the game of Civilization. (laughs) I spent a little gold to spread it all around my cities for a happiness bonus. Best random event ever. And then finally, on turn 1235, which is 2008 AD, I get the notice that I have won a cultural victory, which I think happens when I have three cities hit max culture. I could play longer, and often in the old days, I would play up to 2500 AD or whatever to slowly enculturate the whole world, but I kind of want to go and load my earliest save and do this world all over again to see if I can do better. Also, I only had a few spaceship parts to go, and I want to launch that thing. Man, I love this game, Father Beast. That's a, he, he played a lot more than we did, Jay. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> um, let's see. I think we have two more emails. Hold on, I got lost in my scrolling. All right, we got two more. Uh, Jay, how about you take this one, if you don't sure. mind? This is from, uh, this is from, I'm going to have to do it in two parts again. This is from Andrew. 
Andrew says, hello, thank you. Uh, thanks for the quick reply, letting me know I have a few minutes to get in. Hopefully this makes it. Gonna jump right to the top fives, but I only have three. Number three, Cortana. I have always found her interesting, not just physically either. Come on, guys. I actually saw people talking about that. That's so funny. Uh, they do explore her character more in later Halo games, but I always thought it would be cool to have a spinoff where you're basically her essence inside a robot or something. It would be less like an FPS and more like an adventure, psycho-thriller, puzzle-solving experience, akin to Portal and Myst, except in the Halo universe. Okay, I really had to try and sell that one. Moving on. Uh, number two, I might goof this, but Jan Ors from Jedi Knight. That's his name. Yeah, I think that's uh, right. Dark Force. Okay, Dark Force is two. I loved the Star Wars games back in the day and especially enjoyed the X-Wing series. The few times we got to see Jan swooping in to save the day in her ship, the Crow, I kind of wanted to explore that direction more. She was a secret operative for the New Republic and a game, uh, games with her as lead would likely be a mix between Space Flight Sims, 007 games, and, well, Star Wars. How cool is that? Pretty cool. Number one, That's a good Murray one. the Demonic Talking Skull. Now this, this is a guy <laughs> I'd like to get to know more. I have some strange ideas in my head that Murray is an ancestor of Manny Calvera from Grim Fandango. Regardless of that completely unrelated feeling, it would be fun to see Murray as a skeleton with flesh on them and uh, flesh on them bones and learn about his transition into LeChuck's army. It'd be a game full of endless and empty threats of terror and world domination. <laughs> in other news, current gaming news that, news that is, I just got my Kickstarter key for Iconfell a recently developed indie RPG about a school of magic. It is one of the most magical games I've ever played. Just like, uh, just a little shout out to this gem in case anybody needs modern retro theme title to invest into. It's a strategy-ish RPG with most adorable and inclusive story. Battle is really fun for me. There is a timing aspect to some of the in-battle mechanics that have some, that have some that some have complained about, but I love it. It's very reminiscent of Mario RPG, where you have to time, uh, to time button presses and combos. I can fell is a little bit easier, focusing uh, only on the timing instead of patterns and combos. I feel it keeps me in the moment while considering the best formation for defeating varied enemies. Huh. That's it. That's it this time. Hope you all are aptly surviving these difficult times. Glad we have this community help us distract and lift our spirits. Classic gamers are a tight group. Love and peace be on to ye. Keep gaming, y'all. Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. All right, last one is from Robert. He says, A while back I broke down and elected to play Elite Dangerous for a bit. Given my lack of experience in the genre, I was worried I might not get the general idea of the game. 22 hours of space couriering later, I was able to grasp the basics of the genre. In the past decade, I bought a few select games for the SNES and Genesis, such as F-22 Interceptor, Wing Commander, and the game you were talking about in the previous podcast, Pilot Wings. Um, I bought them while I was looking for some random games to play at the time. This leads back to the recent experience with Elite Dangerous. I decided to dig out my cartridge copy of F-22 Interceptor and played it. It clicks with me now. Also, a few days before your recent podcast, I dug out my cartridge copy of Pilot Wings and decided I could use a flight stick with some kind of a flight stick of some kind to play these kinds of games. So this morning of October 23rd, I bought a couple quick shot flight sticks on eBay, which are prone to failure, but I do not care at this juncture as I'd like to fly something, which will, it will arrive in the coming days before the next podcast is recorded and uploaded. After hearing one of you two talking about pilot wings, I feel completely validated 
and my interest in gaming as of lately, and I appreciate the stories. Robert. Uh, cool, Robert. I don't think you have to feel... I don't think you have to have us validate you uh, wanting to play Pilot <laughs> Wings, but but I'm glad that we could. And I think that's a wrap of emails. I'm scrolling back through, make sure there's nothing that I forgot that I missed, but I think that does it. Um, super quick current gaming subcast. Any current games that you guys want to talk about that you've been playing? No, I'm good. Not really. Um, I, uh, well, no, go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just go real quick. I haven't, I don't really have anything new, but I had a kind of funny thing happen in final fantasy 14, which of course I'm still playing. Um, so there, uh, there's a free company I'm in, which is basically a, it's just another word for, it's what they call guilds in final fantasy 14. And I was playing on uh Saturday and, uh, some of the free company people were like, there's this one guy who was like, Hey, I'm going to lead a, uh, some raids, not, not raids, but just basically think of them as raids. It's basically, uh, like boss battles that you can kind of just play however many times you want. I'm going to lead some of these boss battles, uh, this particular kind is an extreme difficulty. So they're actually really, really hard unless you have somebody who's super high level. And, uh, so this guy was, he's like, I'm going to lead some raids against these boss battles. And, uh, these specific ones we're doing. So you can, uh, we're, we're, we're farming mounts. When you beat these particular bosses, there's a chance that a mount will drop. And then everybody who's in it, who is in the battle basically rolls for it. And whoever rolls best gets it. And so he was like, anybody, if anybody wants to go, we're going now. So I was like, yeah, hell yeah. I'll get, I'll get some, I'll get some cool mounts. And, uh, so he did it. And so <laughs> there's this one and he's like, if we're, he was like, all right, so this, this boss gives, uh, this particular mount, this other one gives this mount. So we're going to do this one first and a few times and then go on to the next one. And if we're really lucky, if we're really lucky, um, we might, possibly get a, a nightmare mount which is like this badass looking unicorn it's like a black unicorn and its horns on fire and it has red eyes and uh, it's got a really low drop rate he's like i hadn't seen one in like a few weeks but you know if we're lucky maybe we'll get one the very first one of these we did we got a nightmare drop and out of eight people rolling for it i was the one who got it <laughs> so like phenomenal i actually computed i actually count computer i actually calculated the odds uh, i looked up like the rarity of that particular amount uh, and then calculated the odds of me being the one person out of eight getting it and it was a uh 0.6 percent chance that that would have happened uh yep. and everybody was like what the fuck just happened i was like i this is my first time here is this good <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty hilarious and, and very fun what about you jay uh, I was just going to say that uh, I really got sucked into Captain Forever uh, a little while ago. What's um, that? Yeah, yeah, Captain Forever is an indie game. Um, came out a while ago. It's I forget the exact year, but it's at least you know five or six years old, I think, at this point. Um, but uh, it's it's sort of like a, an asteroids game. Um, but the the trick is you fight other ships that you randomly encounter, and when you destroy them, you can take parts from them and glue them onto your ship. Oh, I saw this on your channel. Yeah, and so your ship gradually upgrades. And so I, I played as part of my quest thing, um, but then 
after I was done, I ended up playing it for um, a couple of days in a row. And like literally to the point where like one night, very stupidly, I stayed up till like seven or eight in the morning. (laughs) Oh, no. It was it was so bad. I was just addicted and I haven't been like addicted to a game like that where like you literally can't walk away in a long time. So it was kind of like a fun wow. throwback. I, I, I was kind of like, oh, I used to do this, you know, like when I was in high school and university. But then at the same time, I'm like, I have responsibilities, man. Like I'm right. screwed tomorrow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was that was one that I played recently. Um, and other than that, I've been starting to eye some games that I might try and play over the holidays. Um, like Don't Starve Hamlet is one that I've had on my radar for a while. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, it kind of takes... If you're familiar with Don't Starve, Don't Starve Hamlet's sort of a sequel slash DLC, and it takes the formula and moves it away from crafting and survival and turns it more into, like, Indiana Jones uh, treasure hunting through temples, and you tend to buy more of your things from villages rather than craft things, although you still can craft to some degree. Um, so that's one that I might end up uh, checking out soon. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's the only sort of modern stuff I've uh, been checking out. Awesome. So is was uh, Captain Forever? Do you think like like would you recommend it strongly, or do you think it was like just kind of hit the perfect spot exactly what you specifically wanted at that time? Oh man, it's. I think ultimately it is. So when you get Captain Forever, by the way, you get uh, like Captain Forever, Captain Tomorrow, and Captain Unlimited. Those aren't the names, but something like that. Um, It's actually three games in one. And Captain Forever was the OG original version of the game. The next one added in like even more items and weapons and stuff. And then the last one um, is just a crazy mess, but in a good way. Um, I think as the games go up, they get, more fun and less frustrating but the frustrating ones it it's like it tapped into that obsessive game <laughs> element that's in me where like you're playing a game that you're not having fun at but you can't stop mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so actually i will say that uh i ended up beating the second one i, I beat all three eventually but the second one i found really hard and i ended up finding sort of a workaround to to beat it so the way it works is that um, as you kill ships that are more advanced, even more advanced ships show up. So it's like um, you defeat a ship and you get a ship that's more powerful than you and you get its new lasers and stuff. And you're like, yeah, now I'm powerful. But then you just face even more powerful ships. So it's sort of like you're always just a little behind in the power curve. So it can be hard to keep up. And when you get to the final power level of enemy ships, the enemy ships are clones of your ship. So if you have oh, somehow really? built a ship that has all these abilities and shields and, and weapons, and that it's a powerhouse, all of a sudden two or three ships just like you will show up and you have to defeat yourself. Um, oh, that's cool. And it's, it's cool, but it was, it's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I died a number of times. And what I started to realize is that, like I had this idea and I didn't know if it would work, but the computer always pilots its ships forward. I mean, that, that makes sense, obviously. You fly forward. So what I started to do is put all my guns on the back of my ship and drive around backwards. So <laughs> I ended up 
getting good at flying in reverse. And I just started playing the game that way. And so I could build up a mega ship that had no guns on the front. And it was actually totally exposed. I put my like energy core or whatever, like my central ship core at the very front of my ship. One shot could take it out. <laughs> but because I was flying in reverse, none of the enemies got a clear shot at that. <laughs> but then when the computer decided to clone me, all of a sudden it's flying at me and it has no guns and its core is <laughs> totally revealed at me. I'm like, oh, hello. But I just blew it up. That's so, awesome. So that's how I beat that. It was... Uh, I, I was th- that I, I really liked that experience of going through that, being so frustrated, not being able to stop playing, but finally finding sort of like a glitch or an exploit to beat it because it was very reminiscent to me of playing games as a kid. Like that's the kind of stuff you would have to discover in these old, really hard games in order to actually beat them, like little exploits on the bosses and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That sounds cool. I'm I'm afraid to try playing it, though, after how addicted you got to it for like 24 hours apparently (laughs) yeah it's good but it can be addicting and it is definitely hard don't go into don't go into it thinking like you're gonna ace it the first time through you'll die a lot and there will be some really cheap deaths you just got to get over that i'm probably gonna ace it my first time through (laughs) you did (laughs) (laughs) um all right awesome well uh uh, gaming jay where can people find you and follow you and just generally stalk you yeah uh my main uh lair exists on youtube so you can check me out at youtube.com slash uh gaming j hold on let me double check this <laughs> you can you can edit around this pretty right? sure it's gaming j 1001 i think yeah i think it's i think it's my reddit that's only gaming j yeah gaming j 1001 yep um on twitter i'm also gaming j1001 so you can find me there um and uh look you know, for, look for the red pa- look for the red pac-man ghost yes the red pac-man ghost that is me it's my avatar uh blinky is it is blinky oh gosh i have no idea <laughs> i think it's blinky um i also meant to mention too at the very beginning when we were talking about doing a fan appreciation month. If you are interested in that, there will be a video on my channel uh, in a couple weeks, a week or two, talking more about that. So if that did pique your interest and you wonder why there's nothing on it, on my channel about it, it's coming. Awesome. Well, uh, quick reminder, our next top five is, is games that are good, but the gameplay is not the best part about them. Um, our oh and our email address mail at classicgaming.com if you want to send that in or just your thoughts or comments about anything else whatsoever um our next game of the quarter or our current game of the quarter is final fantasy 11 the online one the or the original uh mmo the original final fantasy mmo and we are going to jay and i were discussing this before the podcast i think that's going to be two episodes from now to kind of cap off the year um, our next episode will likely be December 1st and then we're not sure exactly, but the, the last episode of 2020 is probably going to be December 15th or somewhere around there. So that's when we will be playing. That's when we will be discussing final fantasy 11. So if you want to play that as well, uh, I, I have a feeling we're going to have fewer people joining on this one because, uh, Obviously, it's an MMO, and you got to you know pay a subscription for it and all that. But if you do want to, uh, that's the probably December fifteenth is we're going to be discussing it. So make sure you've played it by then and sent in your thoughts by then. 
Also, fair warning on that. Signing up for an account and purchasing this game and installing it is an absolute bitch. Jay and I did this two nights ago, and it took us two hours to figure out the complete process to finally get to where we can play the game. Uh, Jay, any other comments on that? Or That's the most frustrating garage in the world, and Square Enix doesn't deserve, deserve to exist. <laughs> It was like that. We'll talk about it more when we when we uh discuss the game, maybe. But like, it was hilariously convoluted, and and like at one point, my, my Final Fantasy wouldn't launch because when I got into the launcher and clicked play, it said it can't find Final Fantasy, so I had to delete everything and start all over again. Uh, and that's not even counting downloading updates. That's just getting to the point where we could click the play button and the game would try to launch. So, uh, fair warning, it is <laughs> fucking ridiculous trying to get this game started. But we did get it going. We are going to play it. And if you want to as well, uh, December 15th is probably the day that we're going to be discussing it. Uh, aside from that, follow me. I am at King Octavius on Twitter. You can follow, please follow uh, the the podcast at Class Gamescast. Uh, leave us good reviews on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. Tell all your friends about us. That helps us out even more. Again, our email address is mail at classicgamingpodcast.com. And uh, we are a part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. So go check out some of their other podcasts as well. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Unless anybody else has anything else to say, then I will uh, say then we'll be back and we'll see you guys in about in about two and a half weeks. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was great. Yeah, thanks, Jay. It's yeah, always, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's always fun, and I uh, even though we go on for a very long amount of time, you you, you stuck with us. So uh, so thank you for your time. Yeah. yeah, no worries. It was fun. All right, see y'all. 